reflections on the water More than darkness in the depths See him surface and every shadow On the wind I feel his breath Golden eye, I found his weakness Golden eye, he'll do what I please Hello everybody Golden and Welcome once again to Double Oz 7, the only podcast in the world right now that you are listening to, unless you have multiple ears on multiple parts of your head and are listening to several different ones, which I'd love to see a picture of. Please send it in to us and uh, we can share that. But we are here for the 17th James Bond official recap film. Forget all those 16 films that we've already done. They were shit. Those James Bonds don't count. Sean Who, Roger Who, George Who, Timothy Who, because we're now finally up to the movie where we can answer the age-old question pondered by Pinky in Pinky and the Brain about who would want to Pierce Brosnan. We are up to Goldeneye, Pierce Brosnan, the 1995 film. Oh, it's a happy day. It's a happy, happy day because there's lots to talk about and Brosnan's here. Uh, my name is Ben and yes, I am invincible. And I'm Colin, and Pierce is what keeps me alive and keeps me alone. Um, my name's Noah, and I'm currently sitting on a chair, or <laughs> buns, or ass, or uh, whatever else was listed there in her horrible guesses. Well, uh, horrible guesses aside, yes, Goldeneye, uh, very exciting for me personally. I think everybody on this episode is a little bit excited, because we've all kind of shared our experiences of growing up with Bond, and uh, pretty much for all of us, Brosnan is the Bond that we grew up with. He is, he is the person, he is the man who we started off with as the new Bond and the one who was out there in the, the cinemas. So, uh, yes, very, very excited. Uh, lots to cover. We always start off with kind of initial impressions of this film and everything along those lines. And I think I've mentioned, I mentioned at the end of Licence to Kill, and I've mentioned before, this was the first James Bond movie I've ever seen. Probably up there with, well, probably a little bit ahead of Die Another Day in terms of the one I've seen the most and um, so much culturally significant about this film <laughs> when it's connected to... Why is that funny? <laughs> I just realised what you just said. <laughs> it took a few minutes to sink in, did it? Um, <laughs> and it's only a few minutes in, we've already had the reference. Oh, good. So we can play this this early. Oh, that's a record. We've never oh. played it that early before. Thanks. Can we play it again? Let's play the experience of love, please. <laughs> um, Let's not. But uh, look, can't, words can't describe how much I love this film. This is just such a great film. Uh, it's it's got everything. It's got it's got Brosnan. It's got Sean Bean. Um, you know that's enough. I think Colin pointed that out in the end of License to Kill. That that's just the perfect selling point. Um, it's the real first reboot of the the franchise. Um, you know, first Bond film after a six year gap. Uh, we've got a new Bond. We've got a new M. We've got a new Money Penny. Uh, we've got new villains. Still got the same old Q, but that's all right. And um, just yeah, excited. Such a good film, so excited, and can I just say I'm excited again because we're at Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah, um, Ben has the orgasm death face from <laughs> later on in the film right now. <laughs> but 
I do have to say I'm probably almost as excited as Ben is. Uh, as you said, I mean, this is the Bond that introduced us to Bond. So uh, I, I, I'm not really sure about Noah's position, but it, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter. This, what's that? <laughs> on a top. <laughs> position, Colin. Continue position. On. That's the, the <laughs> reference, yes. Zenya. Yes. <laughs> okay, Jansen. Uh, Gold Knight. Continuing Gold on. Gold Knight. 1995. <laughs> Continuing on. Um, yeah, I don't think that the way that we always talk about how Sean Connery, it seems like he could do no wrong, despite the fact that he did a lot of wrong later on. That's kind of the way that I see Pierce. I mean, it doesn't matter uh, what Pierce did. He could have he could have done Diamonds Are Forever, and I probably would have loved Pierce more than I love Sean Connery, even though Sean Connery is the greatest Bond. There's something about whoever introduces you to the role, and I've noticed that with people who grew up with Roger Moore and those who are growing up with Daniel Craig. Um, GoldenEye, surprisingly, even though it was the first Bond movie I saw, it wasn't the one that made me a huge Bond fan. But I was always a fan of the movie. It was, uh, it was Tomorrow Never Dies that got me more into the series. Uh, for that reason, though, I always find it interesting to go back and watch this movie because I don't necessarily have the attachment to it that I have to Tomorrow Never Dies. But yet I still come out of it considering it a much stronger film. So uh, in a way, as much as I've talked up how Pierce Brosnan can really do no wrong, uh, I honestly feel like this is maybe the one Pierce Brosnan movie where my opinion's kind of untainted by my fandom of him and Sean Bean at the same time. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited as well. Um, you can hear it in the expression of my voice. <laughs> Just riveted to be here. Um, yeah, my position is, yeah, I believe this was the first one I saw, but I don't remember for sure. Um, but it definitely was a Brosnan one, the first one I saw. So I'm going to say it was Goldeneye. Uh, Brosnan, even though he's not my favourite, he is still my Bond for the longest time. Brosnan was James Bond. And in a weird way, and this is going to sound dumb because Craig's been in it forever, um, but it still feels like like Brosnan is the Bond and then Craig's this new guy. But it's, I don't know, maybe that's dumb to say. Um, and typical child of the 90s, but the game of this was a huge influence on me becoming a James Bond fan um, and just brings back so many memories watching this film. So I love the game just as much as the film, although if I played the game nowadays, it's probably quite shit. Who knows? It's not. Um, <laughs> we ma- well, we tried to play it, but your cord broke. Um, <laughs> hashtag in-joke. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of the first reboot of the James Bond series, and unlike Casino Royale, and this isn't a huge knock at Casino Royale, it's just something I noticed, is this still feels like it fits in the chronology. It feels like it's still a James Bond film. I know that they're completely different beasts, but it felt so new, yet you still feel like you're watching James Bond. And it still doesn't feel like this is 20 years old. This still feels like uh, one of the recent ones, but it, it does start to look a bit dated. Not that that affects it at all, but, uh, yeah, we're all in agreement, and we'll jump into the actual details of the film. But I loved it doing my research right before, a.k.a. reading Wikipedia. Maybe just want to rewatch it again, even though I did it yesterday. It's just... Such great Bond film, love it. Well, I, I said sort of uh, coming into this that I could probably have done this 
recap with just not even having to rewatch it again, only just for the kill count and everything, because I know this film so well. And yeah, from the game, we'll do a separate episode on the game, um, sort of in the video games in general. But um, for anybody, when you get a new court. when I get a new court, <laughs> but yeah, for anybody sort of you know born in the the you know mid to late eighties and nineties, you know we all know we all grew up with it and huge influence of this. And this is just a film that my dad and I would just watch. This was the first sort of Bond movie, not only that I saw but I owned. I owned this on VHS, like you know I got it in primary school, and it was just dad and I. What do you want? Let's watch Goldeneye. Um, so it was just constantly there, but yeah, as, as Noah kind of pointed out, um, first real, real reboot, reboot in terms of, um, so many things and a lot of things that we'll get to throughout this film. But of course, one thing that's important to mention, the first, um, so the longest gap ever between James Bond films, six years between, uh, License to Kill and GoldenEye. And there were several issues related to this legal issues to do with the film. There were rewrites. There was, uh, studio problems. There was so many things going on with what was preventing this. Timothy Dalton um, was announced that he was coming back. Um, there was a long rumoured, of course, Property of a Lady, 1991 film. Several elements of the supposed plot for that have made their way into GoldenEye. But um, there was posters in 1990 for the next Timothy Dalton film. And Dalton was still James Bond up until about 1994 when he officially announced that, no, nah, I'm not Bond anymore. I've, um, I'm no longer doing it. And then, of course, finally Brosnan was announced and we sort of alluded back to when Dalton was brought in in 1987 that uh, was Brosnan and, of course, he had to go back to Remington Steel, but he's back. Here he is. They've finally got their man. And uh, if anybody's ever... A little known fact, they were actually planning a Remington Steel reboot in 1995, but they got Brosnan <laughs> just in time. <laughs> um, they still probably will do that, Re- not true, Remington not Steel, true. in the age of reboots. But um, if anyone's seen the Everything or Nothing <laughs> um, documentary, the 2012 one, just watching the uh, interview with Brosnan when he sort of details um, oh. going through this situation and kind of the heartbreak he had from not being Bond to then coming to this moment where he got the phone call and just his reaction he's going through um when he's like on the phone like going oh yep yep i can do that and he's like turned to somebody i'm freaking james bond yep yep i can do that i can do that i'm freaking james bond <laughs> like yeah it's it's hilarious <laughs> to watch it but i mean i think what's interesting is did we kind of i think talked a bit in life uh living daylights about how a lot of that was i guess done with brosnan in mind and picturing brosnan in that film a lot of this it's been said was done with Dalton in mind so I, I, I kind of in this rewatch was picturing maybe Dalton in some of these scenes and there are some that I could imagine but I, I really think this is this is just so Brosnan that I don't know if seeing Dalton in this film would have yeah been I, and you know I love Dalton but I, I don't really think I'd like to see Dalton in this movie no I think this is very much Pierce and um the interesting thing about Pierce is uh, he did come on. I don't. Re- I wish I could remember the time, but it was a big thing in the news. I remember when I was a kid, this was sort of my first exposure to James Bond. Was that there's one day where all over the TV they were showing this press conference that was announcing the new Bond movie, as they do with you know all of the Bond movies, particularly when they have a new actor. And it was showing Pierce Brosnan. I remember watching this and my mom freaking out because this was the guy from Remington Steel that she thought, you know, 10 years earlier would have been the perfect James Bond. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, who is this guy? And she's like, he's the one who gets hit in the back of the head by Mrs. Doubtfire with the orange. Um, 
And of course, that was drive by fruit. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, that that always stuck in my head that they made a massive deal about this being Pierce, Pierce Brosnan. And I also remember, I, I wish I knew when it was. It was probably sometime around like '94 because I remember there was a good amount of time before the movie came out. So I'm pretty sure the story definitely feels to me like this could have been Dalton's third film. Whereas the script itself is so tailored perfectly to Piers Brosnan with the one-liners, which I'll say Piers Brosnan, like he nails one-liners almost as well as Rod, not nearly, well, I'm not going to, not nearly as well as Roger Moore, but maybe even better than Sean Connery. Um, it's a perfect movie for Piers Brosnan. It's a perfect movie for the nineties. Uh, I think that they definitely, the other thing to really look at is if this was dated all the way back to the early nineties, they did a really good job in updating it just for 1995 because all of the computer stuff in this film, all the hacking stuff, I mean, that wouldn't have been relevant even two years earlier. Yeah. So uh, I, I actually feel like they worked on this all the way up until the last minute just to make it the right movie for the right time with Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, I don't see it too much. Dalton in there, maybe the script, as Colin said, but um, it's just... It's such a reboot, even though it does have so much of the classic Bond. It feels almost like they are trying to go back to classic Roger Moore, Sean Connery, while also having a, a touch of new Bond. I'm not sure if I wholly agree on the one-liners. I do think a lot of them fall flat, but nowhere near as he had a lot of guts. Like <laughs> It's fall flat in terms of Brosnan. Um, but, yeah, uh, maybe they could have had Dalton back for the flashback uh, pre-titles and then cut to Pierce Brosnan or something. I don't know. Um not really, but Spectre Mask. Yeah, this is Yeah. <laughs> this is just so a new James Bond film. This is like as we saw in Casino Royale, as I'm sure both of you remember, it's just you're viewing something that's completely new to the series that we have not really seen before, and this really kicked off four films that were very different while also having a lot of similarities to what James Bond did. And, of course, um, you know, big things come into this first uh, Bond film post-Cold War, and there's obviously a big uh, theme of that in this film, particularly with the opening credits, which we'll get to very soon. Um, And, you know, a lot of people were saying in 1995, Bond's not relevant anymore. You know, there's no Cold War, there's no Soviet Union, what do we need Bond for? Um, And, yeah, we'll talk about, no doubt, throughout this film how that comes into play. Um, But, yeah. I just think... Go. Yes, hello, Noah. What do you think? uh, (laughs) I just think that it was genius, though, that they had to tackle the problem of, you know, the relic of the Cold War, the Stone Age, whatever. Um, They had to tackle this of James Bond outside the Cold War, although arguably they had already done a film like that in Licence to Kill that had nothing to do with the Cold War, but whatever, uh, to fit with the narrative of this. Um, And to do that, they made a film that was so heavily reliant on the Cold War, and I think that's just genius that this is one of the most Cold War-based kind of influenced films of all of Bond history, even though they were trying to tackle that, and that just makes the film even more better. It's kind of a good like middle ground of like putting an end to that Cold War bond and also kicking off a new era with the computers and everything like that. I just think it's genius. We should- that, that is one of the smartest things about this movie because the misperception people have just looking back in retrospect now and saying, oh, because of some of the lines in the movie about the relic of the Cold War and everything, people assume that it's like, well, they they had this long gap, and then we have this movie that's really about the Cold War ending. 
it must have been tough for them to come up with an idea. And that, that really isn't the case, because as you mentioned, License to Kill had nothing to do with the Cold War. You can go back to so many Bond movies, even from the 60s, 70s or whatever, that didn't even relate to the Cold War as it was going on. Um, there's this idea that people have, for whatever reason, that the reason there was a six-year gap is because they couldn't come up with something that matched the fact that Cold War was ended. Bond didn't have to be about the Cold War. It could be about diamond smuggling. It could be about anything. Uh, this was really a conscious decision they made to say, let's address what happened because it is a big deal and let's build a movie around it. And like you said, that's such a great idea uh, that they, not that they were forced to, but that they made the choice to really address the fact the world was completely different. And that's one of the things that really helps us to kick off a new era of Bond. One thing we should quickly touch on the title, um, obviously not uh, an Ian Fleming uh, title, however, does relate to Ian Fleming because um, it was the name of uh, his estate in Jamaica where he wrote uh, his Bond movies, uh, Bond novels, sorry, um, called Gold. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't write the movies. Hashtag, tried hashtag to write Bond some. expert. Um, Jack Whittingham. <laughs> that's where Ian Fleming wrote the movie. Um, and we should also, uh, to on a quick little mention, uh, last film that Albert Broccoli was, um, he did do bits on this film, not heavily involved, but the last Bond film that he would see as well. So, um, Broth- got abs yeah but of course um you know also there for the um you know helping get Brosnan on so yeah a bit of an end of an era which we can maybe touch on at the end but let's get into the film um straight away we have the new gun barrel with the new music and it's a big talking point the music in this film we'll, we'll get to it um and a lot of people a lot of fans not happy with the music um in this film particularly with the opening um gun barrel which i don't mind it like it's it, they've tried to update it and it still i think sounds bondy but it's just a bit of a fresh take on it but um Maybe we'll get to that. We're in 1986, so uh, the Living Daylights and License to Kill haven't happened yet. So Felix still has two legs um, out there somewhere, and, uh, you know, he hasn't... Well, is that why in the Living Daylights they were on a training exercise? Because they had to get a new 006? <laughs> hey, could be. It all makes sense. It does. Ooh. It does. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, we, we are at a, uh, a chemical weapons facility, Archangel, in the USSR. Um, on this ginormous, uh, amazing dam, absolutely incredible dam, the uh, the Contra Dam, I believe that's what it's called, uh, in Switzerland. Um, we see Bond running along. We get this uh, infamous uh, shot of him jumping off uh, the dam. It's been voted in some polls as the greatest movie stunt in the history of movies. Absolutely incredible stunt. Um, bungee jumping off the dam after running away and if you play the game well you know what you've done before you get to the um the actual dam but uh goes into this facility we uh we meet pierce through the uh very iconic beg your pardon forgot to knock scene which i absolutely love it's such a perfect introduction to him um he's just you know disturbing someone doing his shit um, and meanwhile, he meets up with, uh, 006, a.k.a. Alec Trevelyan, a.k.a. Sean Bean. Um, they're, uh, in this facility, they're hanging around, they're going through, uh, rooms, they set an alarm off, we meet Oromov, uh, we get a bit of action, uh, Bond is setting mines, um, letting everyone know there's a draft being let in. And uh, before we know it, uh, Sean Bean's been killed already in the space of like five minutes. Um, is that a record for a Sean Bean movie? Um, he always likes to die. But or is he dead? 
Um, so bye bye 006, at least we think. Bond escapes, goes out onto the runway. Um, this, of course, again into another iconic scene on the motorbike, over the cliff, falling off into the plane, somehow gets into the plane, somehow saves it, flies off, boom, we're into the opening um, titles. Obviously, there's a lot, sort of everything in this sequence. It's such a great opening sequence. Um, I absolutely love it. There's, there's really, I don't think, too many bad things about this, if anything. I mean, I question the location of this runway, how he's just jumped off a massive dam and somehow this is at the bottom of a dam, which you can't see um, at any point. So that's the... It's a valley. <laughs> it's a valley. <laughs> uh, it's very hilly in the USSR in 1986. Um, but this is just awesome. It's so good. We it, it's, it's a real kick-ass bond. Like, we, uh, we let's just point this out here right now. When it comes to the kill count, if we're even remotely close to each other in terms of what we've gotten, um, I'm going to laugh because I reckon he's killed more people in this opening sequence than Dalton did in both his movies. So, um, yeah, awesome, amazing. And even sort of the, the loose little bit of CGI we get of him falling into the plane looks fantastic. I think it still holds up. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. Um, but, yeah, just so good. I love this. I, I'm just going on about it, how much great this is. How much great this is? That made no sense. Anyway, I'll shut up. Uh, I think all of us, and by all of us, I mean me and Noah and not so much Ben, um, <laughs> we're, we're on the page in License to Kill that uh, one of the issues was the competition from other action movies of the time, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, everything else that despite a lot of good efforts made to make a good Bond movie, there weren't enough efforts made to make it stand out above those other action movies at the time. I think that's one of the things that hurt License to Kill, at least at the box office, is that there wasn't really anything about it to make Bond special. The stunt right in the opening minute of this movie, I think is so important to the James Bond franchise because if you are coming off a license to kill where it was just another generic action movie and there wasn't anything to set it apart, they had to do something big right at the beginning just to make James Bond special, uh, where you could walk into a theater and even in 1995 and you, know, you have these big movies out there. Now you have like the superhero movies like Batman and uh, pretty much everything else that, that came true lies came just before this. And there's a lot to compete with and doing a big stunt that was real that nobody had done before going all the way back to what they always did in the Roger Moore movies. That was so important just to grab an audience right away. And it, the fact that you could still watch this 20 years later and it does hold up, that says a lot about how they stage this and picking the right stunt to start the movie with. Um, I do love Pierce's introduction in a bathroom, which is <laughs> the weirdest thing. I, I just, when he lowers him down there, I just really wish that he could have just gone, who does number two work for? It would have been a perfect moment to get it off the powers line in there. Could have killed him with his piece um, like he never say never again as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the main thing I want to talk about here is just how connected this is to the plot. And we don't know that at this point, which is interesting. Because I... I as I said, I wasn't that familiar with James Bond movies. You know, we all pretty much are on the same page. This is probably the first Bond movie we watched, or at least the first one we really paid attention to. And I would love to know what people thought at the time. Like, did they, the, the diehard James Bond fans in 1995, did they believe that this was going to be connected to the plot later? Did they feel like this was just a one-off mission or anything? 
Sean Bean was not that famous at this point. Maybe outside of England, probably nobody knew him other than, you know, just being the villain in Patriot Games. Uh, he wasn't that well known. I would say for probably at least a decade after this, he was sort of that guy. It's like, oh, yeah, I think I recognize him from something. He was one of those guys. So it's really interesting to me the idea that this is, for us at least, so connected to the plot, which is what the Pierce Brosnan pre-title scenes are really all about. Uh, but that they, they really tried to hide that at the time, uh, especially by killing Alec right in the opening scene. I think that it's interesting. One of the things, as we talked about during Timothy Dalton's era, that there's this perception that he was like the coldest um, Bond there was, the most dangerous Bond there was, and that he really was a lot softer, especially on the, the, the violence count than everybody else. The misperception about Pierce Brosnan always bothers me is the people talking about him as a Superman that uh, he's almost like a superhero that, that can never get hurt, can never do this. And I see these movies the exact opposite way. And I'll talk about that a lot over the course of four films. But even the pre-title scenes, if you look at them with the exception of the next movie that's to come, Pierce basically fails his mission in all the pre-title scenes, which is why they're so connected to the plot. And that's another thing that's really interesting here is that maybe you don't realize it right away, but he kind of does fail here just like he ends up failing in the other ones. And the pre-title scenes all have the distinctive feel, uh, just like the actors that came before. The Sean Connerys all kind of felt like Sean Connery ones. The Roger Moore ones felt like Roger Moore ones. And this really feels like a Pierce Brosnan intro. Uh, the the main thing that uh, really strikes me now is, again, like the, the way that they film the scene where Sean Bean is revealed, it's almost like they knew how famous the guy would be one day. <laughs> Although, as I said, it wouldn't really happen for how long because he's in the shadows and he comes out. And I was talking about in the, the the last episode about how like these are the two guys that I can go to any movie they watch. I've seen every bad B-grade Pierce Brosnan and bad B-grade Sean B movie that's ever happened. You've and again, seen I've, Mamma Mia? <laughs> I've seen Mamma Mia, Oh, yes. God. <laughs> sad to say that Pierce... <laughs> Is this where you played the Mamma Mia? No. Theme? No. Like, no. Like, no. no. <laughs> I'm not zooming that low. <laughs> Pierce, the, uh, the the reason I watched that movie is probably the thing that I dislike the most about it. But uh, I could just imagine now, like, you watch this now, and I if, if I had known how much I would have idolized these two guys, the moment where they're revealed to each other, uh, like I would have soiled myself as a, a child <laughs> watching this movie if I knew how great these guys would end up being. But that's another thing that does hold up now because you're introducing two guys that people aren't that familiar with, and yet the reveal of them those two together is played like such a big deal. And I, I love going back and watching that and seeing something that at the time probably nobody noticed, but now again, it holds up because they realize they will be a big deal one day. So much toilet humor. This episode. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, funny you mentioned like Sean Bean not being too well known. Like you'd probably say maybe Lord of the Rings was what shot him to worldwide fame perhaps, but he was actually, well, yeah, um, I guess, I don't know if it's true, but I guess there's also a rumour that he was in the running to be a Bond as well. Um, that could just be baloney, I'm not sure. Um, but going all the way back, Gun Barrel, I think one thing that Brosnan takes the cake on, hands down, is the Gun Barrel. Brosnan is the quintessential Gun Barrel t- in my eyes. I think he gets nothing wrong with his walk, his shoot, everything. Uh, maybe when we get to die another day, we'll be talking about something else. Hey, there, I like but, that moment. Don't um, 
How did you? Uh, um, <laughs> we're sorry to all of our listeners. We're starting from the Bronson era. We can, we can, yep. <laughs> what we can say that we like her. Uh, uh, I'm not going to get into that. Um, yeah, I think he owns the gun barrel. He's just so awesome in that. Um, bungee jump is that is. In the Hall of Fame. Um, it is one of the greatest moments in Bond history. Just the way the silence with it and just everything and having Bond running along the top and then just clipping on a thing and just jumping. It's amazing. Um, it's up there with the Union Jack parachute, um, the Moonraker, all of them, hands down. As for Alec, I'm not sure... Like, I'm not going to nitpick into this film too much because I love the film, but I'm not sure if I buy Bond too much as buddy-buddy with other 00 agents working in teams kind of thing. That's something kind of new for the... Like, and I think I said it in maybe in a chat that I've never watched these films in order from start Doctor No to Spectre, Spectre, Spectre. Um, and this is coming off literally a plot about Bond, like avenging the, well, not the death of his friend but the shark bite of his friend um and then we've already got another james bond's best friend although it has been six years i'm not sure if i completely buy that whole thing of that that great double o team but it doesn't matter too much because it's sean bean and pierce brosnan as colin kept saying um again not trying to nick pit too much but was like did oromov have Blanks, like, what what happened there? <laughs> like, yeah, did that's he, what I assume. Did, did, but did Alec, did they have to rehearse that? Like, all right, Alec, when I shoot, you've got to fall straight to the ground. You cannot screw this up or Bomb will know that you're a traitor. Like, how? Uh, I always question. Really nitpicking here, but we, we did that for Goldfinger too. So just sorry to just jump in, but so I always question no, that, that he was already turned at this point. Like, I used to, when I was younger, think that, he was saved oh. and then turned, if you know what I mean. But and then turned, yeah. But that doesn't—it doesn't make, make sense, sense based on the whole. Yeah, know, yeah. We know what happens, but I. But I'll give you a pass because you're a kid, and I used to just watch it because action, <laughs> girls, like. So, um, but that could equally make a strong plot, though. That he was just a British agent who was captured and then turned with no other backstory like i'm not saying change golden eye because i do like alex backstory but that still works i think um and then yeah i don't, i agree he's not superhero but pierce brosnan is definitely the action bond that's for sure um like connery's kind of the womanizer spy and then moore's like the comedy bond brosnan not superhero Bond, but he's definitely the action Bond. <laughs> As I think you said, Ben, I think just in this pre-title, he may have got more kills than freaking Dalton or Lazenby did. He's just shooting them up. And I would argue GoldenEye might potentially be one of the greatest action movies of all time. Like we said, with from Russia with love, uh, the spy, one of the greatest spy movies, regardless of if it's your favorite Bond film. I would put it up there as one of the greatest action movies, but of course that's debatable. Um, and then just you thought you had a great stunt with the the bungee jump, and now you've got a motorbike thingy onto a plane drop thing, which is just so ridiculous and so awesome. Although, as you say that, Ben, now does kind of ruin it a little bit, but not really when you said, like, is this a valley? <laughs> like, what's going on here? You just 
bungee jump did he climb back up to the top or something but it's awesome this is easily one of the best pre-title sequences hands down top 10 one thing i'll just quickly add we don't talk a whole lot about like marketing of bond films and everything but i think this is one of the best marketed films the poster i think is one of the most iconic posters and the brosnan posters are very unique in the bod franchise they're almost like a star wars poster that you get a lot of the characters on it a lot of the action bits on it and it really started here with Goldeneye. And if you got a chance to watch the trailers of this movie on your Blu-ray or your DVD, depending on what version you've got, I think they're some of the best sort of collective trailers, not just the theatrical one, but the teaser one, the TV spots. They're so well done. And there's the one where Brosnan sort of strolls on there and he shoots off the letters and it comes up as 007 and he walks up to the camera and he looks in the camera and he's like, you're expecting someone else? Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just so well marketed, I think. Um, just quickly before I get to the title, I, I forgot to mention, I, I love the bit you were saying about does Oromov have blanks. He's constantly saying, like, hold your fire, hold your fire, even when he's running down the fucking runway. Like, don't shoot. Why? Why don't you want to shoot him? And the, the antsy guard that just randomly starts shooting at Bob. Oh, and then Oromov just really kills him. sets up Oromov. <laughs> Which, again, the more we talk about this, it's making less and less sense because then did Oromov switch guns or something? Because that guy seemed to be pretty damn dead. Like, we need yeah. the Oromov kill count. So, <laughs> the more we talk about it, uh, I'm not sure. But that just sets up Oromov straight away as, like, a massive big bad, like, just shooting him because... He screwed up a little shot there. But then, yeah, like, what's with Oromov's guns? Man? And and I also say, um, I mean, with Brosnan, you were sort of mentioning uh, sort of the different Bonds. I mean, you know, I, I put it out there. To me, he's the best Bond ever. And I, 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 I believe that. There's just... Look, just quickly, I think that Brosnan is basically like getting a bunch of Bonds and putting them into the blend. He got the best bits of everything in Brosnan, um, whereas, you know, others stand out in certain areas. I think he's just the ultimate all-round Bond that covers everything. You mentioned the one-liners, Colin. I'd agree with you. I think he's second, you know, just behind more when it comes to the one-liners. But, you know, he's, his delivery of them, he's, he's comedic, he's action Bond, he is a womanizer, you believe it. Like, you know, he's not like... 70-year-old more hooking up with somebody. You know, he, he stays kind of that way throughout it. And just it's just... We'll cover a lot of Brosnan, no doubt, in these films because he's in the next uh, four, clearly. Um, and also, uh, one thing which is great about this film, I sort of mentioned in the chat as well, I think this is one of the best films in terms of combination. You've got, you know, such perfect villains, perfect Bond girls, perfect henchmen. I mean... It's hard to find a combination where everything clicks, and I think we'll we'll get to that with a lot of these characters, and we'll maybe talk about Oromov a little bit more shortly, because we'll get into the song. We're, we're really stretching this out. We're that excited. Um, the title sequence, I love the way that you've got the explosion of the, the, the facility that comes down the gun barrel, and then it comes through into the logo. I think is this is the first time we've actually had like a proper actual logo in the font and everything in the title, and um, we've sort of really got our first real computer-generated um, title sequence, which are fantastic. I I don't know how you two sort of feel about the computer-generated ones, but I, I think the, the Brosnan title credits are up there. I mean, I, I, the Craig ones stand out quite well, two of them anyway. Um, but, yeah, I, I think they're all unique. Each of them, we've had a decade of films where they really had nothing to do with anything, 
Um, and now we're, we're back into these relate to the plot. And this does it fantastically. Obviously, we're about to see nine years later up on our screen in a moment. And this sort of sets it up with the fall of the Soviet Union. We've got, you know, the women hammering down on, you know, old statue, statues of Stalin and the, the sickles and the flags and the gun out of the mouth. And we actually have a golden eye. Ooh, funnily enough. Um, so it's, it's fantastic. It's a great opening title sequence. It's the best one we've had in a very long time. And I easily would say this is being the best top 10 opening title sequences. The song, I like the song. Um, I said that the 70s are probably the best decade just because overall you've got more songs and you've only got one bad one. I think the 90s is the one decade, mind you, we've only got three songs to choose from that I think every song is brilliant. Um, this is probably my least favourite out of the three 90s songs, but I still absolutely love it. <laughs> Tina Turner is is fantastic. She's just... She's born to do a Bond song. Um, she's just got the voice for it. She's such a great singer. Obviously written by Bono and The Edge. There is a demo of them singing it out there. Not as good as Tina Turner. Um, and uh, big Swedish pop group Ace of Bass. Uh, also recorded a version, which uh, they released later on one of their albums, which isn't too bad, actually. Um, but, yeah, the the lyrics just quickly. Uh, I know Noah's definitely going to cover one lyric. He loves a lyric in this song. Um, <laughs> but the lyrics, you know, have kind of gone back into actually making sense in terms of a plot of a film. I think there's lots of references to the film and actually makes sense. So, yeah, this is adds to why this film is so great. Well, tell us some of them. Some of them. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think... Don't just... Don't just make a statement. Tell us. Oh well, I didn't want to take you, steal your thunder. Um... <laughs> no, no, not that lyric. But what are some of the lyrics that fit with the? Thing? Uh, well, you know, Gold and I found his. I'm not having a go here. I'm genuinely. Interested. Well, God, I found his weakness. Uh, he'll do what I please. I think, like you know, found his weakness in terms of you know, like they were buddies, and he talks a lot about the sort of in the film later on about he knows his every. I think move. that line could apply to all previous Bond films too. <laughs> <laughs> I love. Ben's explanation. You'll never know how it feels to get so close and be denied. Um, You know, talking about being connected, obviously, before. Um, Seeing him move through smoke and mirrors. You know, talking about Giannis, obviously. He was sort of (laughs) hidden in the background and then he comes through there. Um, uh, uh, Yeah, you're putting me on the spot here. I'm trying to make a statement and you're trying to call me out. Fuck you, Noah Groves. (laughs) (laughs) The tears, the tears I've cried. Not lace or leather. Yeah. <laughs> it's a golden yes, honey trap I've got for you tonight. Yeah. That one. Well, revenge! Real. It's a kiss this time. I won't miss. Now I've got you in my sight. Feel his presence in the crowd. That was when he was in that crowd. The golden. <laughs> I do love the moment where Alec gets his revenge on Bond by uh, totally shoving his tongue down his throat too. That was an awesome moment. <laughs> well, he felt the he let's, felt let's... it in his breath. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We apologize again for 007. <laughs> apologize for Ben. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that for once I'm going to be talking something up more than you are for the, these films, Ben. I'd go as far not only to say this is the best of the Brosnan theme songs. I think it's oh. one of the greatest Bond themes of all time. This is one of the ones that I can listen to over and over and over again. It's, it's right up there with Nobody Does It Better and Goldfinger for me. Um, live and let die this is an amazing song it's it's a perfect bond theme and i don't think we get another one of these until skyfall uh although i do like some of the other ones minus die another day one interesting thing is they were going (laughs) through the um 
the end of the the eighties and the the Timothy Daltons. We had we covered so many eulogizings, you know, that um, John Glenn, Timothy Dalton, Roger Moore, Sean Connery. That there are so many of the important people that were involved in these franchises that did step down. Uh, that we didn't even get a chance to talk about, but we're going to be introduced to so many of them now. I mean, we have new screenwriters coming in. So Richard Maybaum is gone. As we said, Cubby Broccoli, this is kind of the last thing he was involved with, but even not really involved with. Maurice Binder, who did most of the pre-title, or not pre-titles, most of the title sequences throughout the entire franchise's history is gone now. And you definitely feel like it's a new guy doing these. I don't think it's just the computer graphics, but uh, Daniel Kleinman, who did the title design for this, he pretty much works exclusively in Bond for that. And he's done all of them from this up until Spectre minus one, which wasn't the best. Um, Let's not talk about Spectre, Spectre. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that this is, right up there with Spectre as maybe uh, the best uh, title design. Stop! We haven't seen it yet! <laughs> yeah, to give we context, haven't? by the time this episode comes out, it's probably 2016 or something, <laughs> but uh, this is like two days before myself and Ben see Spectre. Colin saw it like yeah. three days ago, but- Mr. I live in North America. <laughs> oh, how good was it when Alec came back? In <laughs> <laughs> um... But I, I have to say, GoldenEye 2 Spectre, just in retrospect, they, they, they get something right with the right level of camp in the titles. Uh, the Bond title should be nonsense at times, and this has its moments of nonsense. Uh, I love the gun coming out of the woman's mouth. <laughs> it's a fantastic shot, but... This is like the perfect title design, and it is new. And Daniel Kleinman has a completely different style from Maurice Binder, but I think that in some ways it is even better. This is one of those areas where, you know, do you go with who you grew up watching, or do you go with who was the original? And there's something about Kleinman's designs that looks so fantastic because he does have a different way of animating them. But just the way he orchestrates these is not let's put another woman out there wearing uh, glow-in-the-dark lipstick or whatever, but let's just do something absolutely ridiculous, and it'll be great just to see it. Like These are ridiculous titles, and it works so well. Yeah, I don't think it's even a debate that this is the best theme song of the Brosnan era. Um, of, Apparently yeah. it is a debate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ben. Uh, it's a great song, which just shows the quality of all four Brosnan songs. All four of the Brosnan stop, songs. Stop, 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 Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's a debate. Hand down the best. I'm not a fan of the Brosnan era music, although I'm kind of coming around on one of the other songs. I've always viewed that as collectively the worst Bond overall themes. I'm I just don't like the Brosnan yes. themes. No, no, no. I don't think that's what he was saying. <laughs> that's not what I was no, saying. No, um, no, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is so great because it's it's not a ballad, but it's also got that kind of, it's got a bit of a ballady, or not a, more like a gold finger kind of vibe, mm-hmm. and it mixes that, like that view to a kill kind of espionage feel with the ballads or the gold fingers 
even Thunderball. So it's that perfect blend. And we keep talking about the old and the new being mixed together into this film. And I just think it works really well. It's not my favorite, but it is a really good Bond theme because it just, it feels Bondy and while also feeling unique at the same time, hands down the best Brosnan one. And yes, that lyric that Ben mentioned is just the creepiest line in Bond history is, you'll never know how I watched you from the shadows as a child, which is just uh, kind of creepy. Um, Let, let's, can we just give a theory on that? If these lyrics are meant to be literal, is that <laughs> Alec watching Pierce or is that like Hitler watching Alec maybe? <laughs> you must join my Yeah, where does that fit into it, Ben? Um, I think it's just well, creepy. Ben explains the Bond well, it's theme. Either creepy Tina Turner or creepy Bono. Like, is, we just go back to Bono, perhaps. <laughs> so he wears those glasses. Bono was Alex Bath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, though, Colin. If we're supposed to be fitting the lyrics into the film, I'm not sure how. You would never know how watched you from the shadows as a child fits in. But creepy nonetheless, Tina. Um, the... Th- the title sequence, I really like it too. I do think it's top ten, one of the best. Um, I love the symbolism and the falling, like the sickles and all the statues and that. Um, and the it is a bit campy as well with the girls walking on like the hammers and stuff like that. And the background kind of looks a bit shoddy sometimes, but it's still really cool, that kind of red kind of, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? It's just reddy, grey, browny colours. Just background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the word. You know, those things that are everywhere. Um, and then, uh, yeah, a lot of symbolism, like the, the double-headed woman to represent, like, Janus and stuff like that, the two-faced uh, god and stuff like that. So I think it's cool that they had that into a theme. Like, I'd much rather have symbolism in the intros than glow-in-the-dark paint, drowning women in baths. Like, I think it works much better. The large, sharp objects uh, being thrust yeah. into women's mouths as a symbolism. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's not go there. Very uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think overall the combination works so well and just another big, big, big tick on top of this film, but we should really get into this film of Goldeneye. I, I, I just love the start of it, the dun-dun-dun-dun, like, just the music and the dun like, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned as well, Colin, you are going through a lot of the people involved in this film. We should mention no more John Glenn. Hello. Hello, Martin yeah. Campbell. Uh, we've got a Kiwi directing James Bond. Um, we should also point out Rosden has the unique distinction of having a new a different director for every film, mm-hmm. which no other Bond has had. Well, technically, Lazenby <laughs> has not really. So, so, and I think that does play a role, and that's maybe something we can talk about. That's a good point. In another episode of how different they are, but they are the four very different films in some ways. But and also, John Barry is not here at all, and that's something we should maybe mention later. The sound. I think John Barry hasn't been there since what, like Living Daylights was his last. Living Daylights. Yeah. Um, well, that's one film. What? <laughs> one film. But, um, yeah, I mean, Martin Campbell, I believe, the first non-English or American director to re- direct James Bond, if I'm correct there, Colin. Um, uh, he's, 
you, you're usually good on those. Um, yeah, New Zealand. He obviously comes back uh, eleven years later to do Casino Royale as well. But um, so he's he's involved in two very big reboots of the Bond franchise and two very good films as well. But also the esteemed director behind the 1973 classic The Sex Thief. So um, I think probably that is what sold him to get the classic. The, is right. It's going to be like how Bernie Casey was in all those black exploitation films. Just got all these porn films that he's directed. The James Bond gig, or as he would say, the James Bond gog. Um, so <laughs> anyway, bad New Zealand joke. Uh, we get we get the gun barrel again as we get a moving road, and oh god, can I just say this sequence? You're talking about Sean Bean and Pierce Brosnan making you crap your pants and bringing back your incontinence issues there, uh, Colin. We've got <laughs> Famke Jansen in a Ferrari. Now, let's just, just sit on that for a moment and realise that young 11-year-old Ben at this point hit puberty um, because, yes, this is this is perfect. <laughs> you would love to sit on Um I love this sequence, and we're, we're driving in Monaco too, which is one of my... I always say I'm going to grow up and have a house in New York and a house in Monaco, like Monte Carlo, just like... <laughs> Dream location for me to, to visit. What was the age cut off for this dream? I'm still young. Like I'm not. I'm not Roger Moore age yet. Um, but yeah, we got this. You fan- can do it. Yes, uh, fantastic little chase. Well, not a chase really. It's just a le- leisurely drive through the Monte Carlo hills. Um, we've got the uh, classic Aston Martin back for Bond. This beautiful Ferrari F three five five. First time we've ever had a Ferrari in a James Bond film. Um, and we're getting Bond being evaluated. Um, and I just love this sequence. Um, just so, so much goodness to this bit. Uh, we've got, obviously, um, we should mention it's nine years later as well. That's probably important to mention in the plot. Um, but um, classic Chili Masters and beep, 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 beep from both of them. Um, great lines from um, from Bond and, and the lady. What's her name? What's this? Does she have a name? No. Caroline. Caroline. Yes, um, and you know one of my favourite lines from the entire movie. I enjoy a spirited ride as much as the next go. Who's that? The next girl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then at the end of the day, when she's like, "I want you to stop this car, really stop this car at once." <laughs> Just Brosnan's playfulness is so good. Uh, we obviously have the bikes. Uh, fun fact: Martin Campbell is one of those bike riders. It falls over. If you didn't know that, for a bit of trivia. Um, and a lot of these driving, actually, Famke Jansen did her own driving in a lot of these sequences as well. So we meet. We have don't know her name yet. But there's Zenya. Uh, we get a bit more of Bond, and yeah, I just want to stop it at this point because um, I think the casino scene deserves its own separate one. But uh, yeah, this sequence is amazing. Yeah, this is it's a total shift in tone from the first uh, sequence too, which I always found interesting. Martin Campbell, I, he's kind of labeled because GoldenEye is considered such a classic, and the story itself is so serious. And obviously they brought him back for Casino Royale. He's kind of labeled as the guy who took Bond seriously for some reason. But it's, it's really funny because this movie has a lot of goofiness to it and a, a good level of camp that even the other Pierces don't have. Uh, I think it was just very aware of its camp. And this scene's a perfect example. It's just it's completely ridiculous. Not ridiculous in a bad way, just ridiculous in so much fun and silly. <laughs> the fact that he's being evaluated and he's clearly not taking like this is where you said he he puts on the different hats of the different bonds and this is a sean connery moment you know when something serious is supposed to be going on he's just messing with everybody and 
I love that we have a car chase here that's done in a playful way. Like James Bond is one of those guys that, you know, if somebody cuts him off, he'll just decide, oh, let me just have a little bit of a race off the cliff with them. You know, <laughs> like, this is kind of the, what he does for fun. I just love that. And we get to see that, you know, he stocks his car with uh, champagne or whatever. And uh, uh, I don't really, uh, I didn't know it was a Ferrari, but <gasps> um, it's, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. And I got to be honest, I didn't know this was an Aston Martin until uh, <laughs> I got more into the Bond yeah, movies. How have we not mentioned that? This yes, is Martin's back. I, I, I yeah, do, and this is anyway. the last time we basically see the yeah. It's the last time we see the Aston Martin, you know, because Bond has a different car through most of these films. But uh, it's such a fun scene, and it is very over the top. The music, we're gonna probably have a lot of criticism towards the the score for this. Yeah. But there's something about the music that works in this scene, I think. It's one of the few scenes where this weird let's play an entire score on pots and pans inside of a cave and rubber bands. I think bands. that was actually taken from the soundtrack of the sex feature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, music is, the music adds to how fun the scene is. And Xenia is... Ugh, Easily one of the most iconic characters, I think, in the entire James Bond series, like 24 films. And this is, again, the perfect introduction to him. Cause, no, that's right, 23. Uh, <laughs> no, we have, <laughs> but we have this introduction to her that they're not spoiling anything. You're not seeing her, you know, clearly having an orgasm when uh, their bumpers hit or something like that. It's but. <laughs> It's just enough for you to know that there's something really weird about this girl. And uh, obviously we get more into her character later on. But it's perfect introduction to Pierce and perfect introduction to her character. Nitpicking this film again, but like, why are they Come on, the Noah! <laughs> there's <laughs> the one film you can't in. nitpick, it's Goldeneye. Come on! <laughs> well, it's funny because Goldfinger was also the one we nitpicked the most. So maybe films having all these little issues actually is a sign of a good thing i don't know um but like why are they doing the training in monaco seems a bit random um maybe they've got the best roads for training uh but the yeah this scene is so memorable and so great um just as colin said change of pace from the super serious well not super seriousness but the big action sequence to just have this uh, like toned down comedic little scene. It does go on a bit, but I never get bored of it though, even though it does go on probably longer than it should because there's just so much going on. And I love the bike stuff because that's just classic goofy Bond that I like. Call back to the Roger Moore, even Connery era there. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to talk about Xenia a bit later, so I can. We'll get to her in a minute. Uh, leave. Leaves in you, but yeah, Carolyn always annoys me every time I watch the movie. <laughs> I hate Carolyn; she's annoying. She's just like uh, whatever. Like, can't believe you get through it. Um, one thing I will say with Brosnan as well is that I I do remember sort of growing up that there was always constant comparisons to him and Connery and sort of like, we get that a lot now with like people say, Oh, Craig's the best bond. And I mean, I'm guessing it's maybe just a thing. People say that with the current bond, because a lot of people, you say Brosnan, I remember my dad, like my dad's a huge uh, Connery fan. And, and he always talks very highly of Brosnan and or used to always say that, you know, after Connery, he's the best. And I think kind of um, as Colin sort of alluded to, I think what's great about the Brosnan films is that, 
sort of probably for the first time really since Connery, we just have, I think, a perfect mixture of serious and camp. You know, not to take away, there was a few Roger Moore films that were very much like that, but sort of a lot of the Moore films skewed more into the camp than the serious, and obviously the Daltons were very serious and, you know, barely any camp. So, so what a a key thing to me about uh, my love for Brosnan and the Brosnan films is that I think they're basically like the Connery movies, but they're more modern and sort of updated. So that's where a lot of it, I think, where Brosnan is a great Bond, and to me the best Bond, because he sort of takes what Connery had and makes it even better. And whereas Connery got bored in his last two or, you know, that other film that he did, um, you know, Brosnan, I think, sort of is always gives his all in every single role. So I think that this is a perfect scene that kind of, you know, comes, as you were saying before, from the series action into into sort of the, the campy, fun, you know, little random car chase thing that we have. It's not a chase, I guess. It's a little bit. And you mentioned, Noah, about, uh, you know, a good place for training. There's actually a, a – the World Rally Championship has a stage on these roads, so they're very – yeah, I was going to say, is this a race course? Yeah. It looked very much like a race course. Yeah, no. That, that... I think I heard that once when I was listening to the qualifying Yeah, lap. well, hey, there you go. <laughs> um, and funnily enough... Qualifying lap goes to Monaco. It's, it's, Scout for it's actually, in all seriousness, 17 films to use Monaco as a Bond location. Like, Monaco screams Bond location. Um, I mean, you joke about the qualifying lap. The, the most famous Formula One race is Monaco, and it is known for its glitz and glamour and sort of, you know celebrities and just you know stuff that bond is basically related to so to take 17 films to get to monte carlo is amazing when you think about it um i want to sort of group these next bits because obviously basically everything here with in monte carlo sort of leads up to seven i but obviously the main talking point here is the the casino um, we get, uh, you know, Bond, he arrives, sees the Ferrari, walks in, goes to the table, there's Xenia. Um, we get this great little uh, exchange between Bond and Xenia. It appears we uh, share three passions. I count two, motoring and baccarat. I hope the third is where your real talent lies. Um, and we constantly get uh, Xenia's uh, one line of biatch. Um, then we get the introduction, um, Bond gets a martini. Bond basically ticks off everything Brosnan does in these first, uh, mm-hmm. 15 minutes. We've got kills, we've got a root, we've got yeah. martinis, and we've got his name. Done. Thanks, Pierce. You're doing well. Um, one of the best... I actually think, just a quick side note, I actually think they do that on purpose, because Lazenby was like that. They ticked off so many straight off the bat, and Maul was like that as well, so... Do you think they do that on purpose on their first films? Probably not. Did they do? Did Dalton? How long did it take Dalton to get a martini? Oh well, Dalton's an enigma. <laughs> well, didn't he have three martinis uh, in the we'll living get day? To That's that. what I've heard. We'll get to that. <laughs> I've heard the rumor. Um, he's Bond, James Bond. I'm going to put it out there. One of the best introductions. We talked about Dalton's iconic. Obviously, uh, Connery's iconic. Don't really remember too much of Moore's. Um, we remember Lazenby's. Um, I'm going to put it out there. Behind Sean Connery's in Dr. No, I think the most iconic introduction, first Bond, James Bond. Him in that scene, you always see it. Him in the tux, the way he says it, it's fantastic. And again, on the Everything or Nothing documentary, Pierce goes into a bit of details about how nervous he was having to say it for the first time. Uh, we then met meet uh, on Top's name. On a Top? On a Top. Um, it's a great little exchange. Um, and then we meet uh, our Admiral. Canadian! Yay! 
Um, yes. <laughs> he did us proud. We, well, he did. <laughs> um, Bond uh, obviously goes outside and follows them to their yacht, zooms in, gets into the uh, back into the Aston Martin. We hear the first time, Samantha Bond, new money penny. Uh, great little uh, recorded message. I trust you'll stay on the top of things. Cut to a fairly graphic sex scene. Um, I'm, this has got to be the first sex scene, surely. Do we count this as a sex scene? Because this is pretty out there for a... Yay, Canada! <laughs> <laughs> Breaking new ground um, since 1995. It's, yeah, it's a scene, obviously, <laughs> Xenia and the Admiral getting it on, and we get to see Xenia's little uh, henchman trait. She crushes people with a vagina. I mean, her legs. Um, I used to actually always think that she crushed people with a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> What? I don't know. I was young. I didn't know how a vagina worked. What kind of 11-year-old were you? <laughs> One who didn't know what a vagina was. Um... <laughs> Dad, let's watch the film with the vagina crusher. <laughs> and obviously, uh, this all leads into Xenia, and I'm, I'm guessing it's Oromov, um, stealing their identities as the pilots. Um, well, actually, the Admiral would get on the boat before killing the pilots and then stealing the, the Tiger helicopter. Uh, random stat for you. One of the guards that was shot was a stuntman who performed the uh, jump at the beginning of the film. He uh, was allowed a cameo in there. And also, uh, random little uh, fact for you too, one of the ladies at the table in the Baccarat scene was uh, a competition winner. Uh, 1989, I think they had it in a chip packet. It was like, enter and you will win a walk-on role in the next James Bond film. Of course, there was a six-year gap and they still held their word and allowed her to appear in the Bond film. So there you go. Competitions do last. Uh, Brosnan is on the yacht, discovers dead Admiral. I've got it as my profile picture right now on Skype because it is one of my favourite still shots ever in Bond, this happy dead Canadian who's got his orgasm face still on. He's <laughs> dead. And then Bond tries to break on the boat. I really don't know what his end game is here because clearly he's like running onto a boat with like military people and very, very French guys. Uh, they're not going to let him get on. And even if he got on the boat, what's he going to do? Jump on the helicopter? Dun it, dun it, dun it. Like, it's not going to work. Um, and yes, the helicopter gets away. So a fair bit. That's Monte Carlo. Um, yes. Um, uh, oh, okay. I don't want to be like Noah here. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't, I'm not going to nitpick so much, but I'm, I don't think I'm quite as high on the casino scene. Um, I do think that Pierce delivers the line bond, James bond better than anybody other than Connery for that line. Yeah. Uh, but the scene itself, I think it's again, they're checking the boxes here. Uh, let's, let's put the martini in there. Let's have him deliver the line. Let's have him in a casino. Uh, for that reason, the scene itself doesn't stand out, at least as a scene, as being as iconic as, say, uh, the the introduction that Moore had with uh, Bond, James Bond, when he was meeting with Kananga and uh, Dalton. Even though I wasn't a fan of it, you know, dropping in uh, Bond saying the Pierce Brosnan saying the line is memorable because of Pierce, not because of the scene. The scene's another casino scene, but it is helped by having Xenia in there and. There's a lot of really funny innuendos in there with the uh, straight up with the twist line that she had. <laughs> uh, uh, the um, the on the top of things, as you said, with Money Penny, like she's the first one who really plays on that. I don't know how Money Penny gets that so quickly too, because that's probably like four minutes that passes, and she somehow transmitted this all the way to his car and come up with you know a, a, a one liner to go with it. But uh, not not really a minor complaint, but just something that I was scratching my head with a bit. The dynamic with Xenia is fantastic that Pierce has. And 
this is again one of the areas where I don't think when I was younger, not really knowing as many Bond movies that I could have given this movie enough credit for, is the the way that Pierce plays off of his Bond girls is completely different. Uh, I talked about how I don't like the whole you know Bond girl as an equal as to, in terms of just making her an agent that does this and that because then you're just taking away from what Pierce's role in the movie is. But this is how you make somebody an equal in terms of writing them their own unique character because she's completely different. But in any in any exchange they have, she has just as many great lines as he has. Well, obviously, we have her, as you said, I pr probably think you're right. It might be the first sex scene where we're seeing anything. It's not die another day gross. Um, it's it's just something <laughs> where you're, you're seeing something. Uh, you're seeing something going on that you wouldn't have seen in a previous Bond movie. And there is going to be a lot of that in GoldenEye where you could tell it's been six years and some of the standards have been uh, let down a little bit for what you can show. Obviously, even with Xenia as a character, that's not something you could get away with even in 1989. And They're not going too far, but they're pushing the envelope in this movie uh, to see what they can get away with. And... Uh, Wow, th this may be proud to be a Canadian. I'll just say that. <laughs> I'll, I'll just let you know that face that Ben's talking about. We walk around with that face on all the time. That's what we all look like. Hey, <laughs> hey yeah. It makes it all the more funny that I'm looking this at this on Ben's Skype right now. So I think we'll have to put this picture on the post to give some context. Yeah, yeah. We, I'm we just picturing everyone in Canada walking around with that face. <laughs> We stand on guard for the. Uh, <laughs> I, that was Holy. all I wrote my notes here. Was my notes for that scene? All it says is, "Oh Canada, we stand on guard for thee." True. Hey, uh, true. This, like, seriously, I, 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 hey. I, I can't help but say that this is one of those things where you you wonder. The Bond movies are kind of meant. They've always said how the Bond movies are meant to be a little bit of fantasy, where. You know, the the guys would kind of picture, oh, wouldn't it be great if I was James Bond and I could live this life? This is one of those moments where you're like, Xenia's into Canadians, so I have a bit of a chance. I'll be dead, Old but I have a chance. <laughs> well, oh, in about 15, 20 years, I will have a chance. Uh, yeah, it makes me proud to be a Canadian. And I, I, I'm not going to nitpick again too much, but... There is something very odd about when they are stealing the helicopter. This is kind of something that maybe he stole from Dalton. The idea that you have to be so intense, but just not do anything logical by speaking. Because back at the beginning of Living Daylights, where there was the the not agent who was assassinating, the, the smirch agent who snuck his way in there, and he's chasing him down, and they're like hitting with paintballs, and there's that idiotic guy. It's like, hey, you got shot with a paintball. You're supposed to be dead, and... Timothy Dalton just shoves him over instead of saying, that guy over there killed one of our guys. Grab him. Why doesn't Pierce do the same thing? Like, he just runs and gets tackled to the ground. I'm wondering, like, just say, they're stealing the helicopter. They're bad guys. Get them. Like, this is Dalton thing where Dalton and Pierce, where they have to be the hero and they don't want to tell anybody to help them. It's That's the only thing that really bugs me in this uh, He's seeing a therapist, all right? That's right. Leave him alone. I know that he's, he has some issues. He's working out in therapy right now. Yeah. Um, uh, I need to stop nitpicking because um, <laughs> I really enjoy this movie. <laughs> but the, it is one of the best Bond James Bonds ever. But it always grates at me that she says, 
like she's talking in the sentence and then she's Mr. And it's kind of like Sylvia and he says, Mr. Bond, James Bond. And she says, Mr. And then he says, the name's Bond, James Bond. But like if someone says to me, uh, and your name, Mr. I don't say the name's Noah. Like it just. If you were cool, you, you say, would. If you are Pierce Brosnan, you <laughs> yeah, would. That's why I'm not. Now we've learnt why I'm not cool among many reasons. Because <laughs> you're not Pierce um, Because I don't say the names. Um, <laughs> like, why doesn't he just say Bond, James Bond? Why does he say the names? It it doesn't grammatically work at all, neither did that sentence I just said. Um, but that's a very minor complaint. <laughs> you're really I'm, stretching I'm to nitpick you. this film if you're nitpicking the grammar of a James Bond film. Oh, the grammar in GoldenEye <laughs> is just not up to standard. No, it's just... It just, I don't understand why he didn't just say Bond, James Bond, but it's a very minor because I also agree it is one of the all-time best Bond, James Bonds that there is uh, <laughs> enough with that. Uh, the casino, I don't really have too much to add there. Some great Xenia in there. The car is kind of goofy, but I like it, though, with Money Penny. Whoa, we'll talk about Samantha Bond. Uh, but I think that's kind of cool. Uh then the Xenia scene is, again, we just had the pre-title, then the car scene, which is really famous, then this famous scene as well, which is great, uh, go, go Station C, um, with you there. Xenia as a character, and we'll touch on all the characters in this film, but she's just easily the best Bond femme fatale, and just, I was not a huge Dario fan, I'm not a Necros fan at all, so it's been since, what, May Day in 1985, uh, so like 10 years since we've had a really strong henchman slash woman. And she just, out of the gate, there's so much to her character. And she's funny, she's sexy, she's tough. Um, in my eyes, hands down, one of the greatest hench, henchwomen slash femme fatales. Um, and again, I think, Colin or Ben, you mentioned her relationship with Brosnan just works so well as well as her relationship to the uh, the villains of the film, well, Oromov, I guess. So I, I'm completely on the Xenia bandwagon. I think she is one of the greatest things uh, in this film, and she's just so funny. Um, and then the boat stuff, that's a good point, uh, the nitpick point of, like, uh, stop them. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, this is the shy Bond who doesn't want to speak up because stop. he's in a public stop. place or something. Stop them! <laughs> um, but yeah, this this film is kind of moving at a lightning pace almost, and there's just so much going on and so many famous scenes. I love it, but yeah, Zenya, it's such a huge part of this film and such a great character. Well, let's talk about Zenya. You sort of touched on it. Um, I'm putting it out there behind Jaws, the the second greatest henchman in the history of Bond. Um, just. Oh, there's just so much that can just be said about her. Famke Janssen is one of my favourite actresses. She's just stunning. Really? Yeah, oh, I love Famke. She's been in so many things that I love. Um, X-Men, Nip Tuck. She was the greatest... I hated she was She was absolutely brilliant in Nip Tuck. If anybody has ever seen it and know what I'm talking about, I'm not going to spoil it, what she actually turns out to be, but... Oh, she is just fantastic in it. But she's she is amazing. I, I again I hit puberty uh when I saw this film. Um and just her character, like 
She's sadistic. She has it like a nice little quirk when it comes to sort of the crushing, um, the repertoire with Pierce. You both said it. It's just so good. Like you could just really see these two just boning the shit out of each other and just having this passionate love affair. Like it's just, it's such amazing chemistry, but she's so good at what she does. Like just, we'll see it in a minute when they're in seven iron, she's just massacring everybody. And just later on, I just, oh, she's just, words cannot express my love for her. And if Jaws didn't, didn't exist, she's, she's number one with a bullet. And, you know, any list you see basically nowadays of top 10, top 20 greatest Bond girls, she's generally always top two, top three, um, which, I mean, I don't know if we can count her as a Bond girl because technically Bond doesn't sleep with her. So um, she yeah. more falls into the, the henchman, she's a henchman villain category, yeah. But, um, look, I don't give a shit. If she's on any list and she's number one, I don't give two hoots because it's Famke Jansen, it's Xenia on the top. And her accent, can I just point out, some actresses and actors are terrible at doing accents. Famke Jansen and her Georgian accent, best Georgian accent I've ever heard on cinema. Where did she fall on the e-harmony list? <laughs> Bond's e-harmony. Not as high as Natalia. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, let's, let's talk about one thing. And again, I don't know if either of you noticed this, but obviously we, we, we said, you know, Famke Jansen's been in so many things since then, like Taken and uh, X-Men and everything else. But... Okay. Has anybody noticed how unusual it is watching this movie to see how much she smiles in this? Because I think she's kind of famous for never smiling at all mm. in any movie she's made in 20 years after this. Yeah. This role, considering it was the role that really launched her, usually an actor will kind of get typecast in a certain type of role. And she's never really played anything like this since. Um, every role she played is very serious after this. And it would be very fun to see her go back and play a character that's just completely... I mean... I think there is there's one scene in X Men Three that's almost a bit of a throwback to Xenia, uh, when she's pretty much leg raping Wolverine. Uh, <laughs> she turns into a villain. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she does. If we're gonna give it a name, let's call it a leg rape. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's better than vagina chomping or whatever. You say. <laughs> no means no. Stop leg raping me. <laughs> but yeah, she's. She has to be one of the best henchmen. I don't know if I'd go that far because I think you still have Nick Knack in there. You still have Odd Job. Uh, but she's definitely up there. And we're going to say of modern henchmen, there's really nobody that touches her. Uh, her character steals this entire movie. I mean, and again, this is nothing against Pierce Brosnan. But when she's on screen, this is a Xenia film. It is not a James Bond film. The Warrior Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's leg Zena. warrior princess. Leg raper warrior princess. <laughs> <laughs> Zena the leg raper. All right, we should move on. Um, I pretty much covered Xenia, Xenia, but I just think, yeah, they were rebooting it and they had to get this film right at six years and then the one before that was like License to Kill and The Living Daylights. Like They're not at a Bond classic in so long and... They had to get everything right, and they do with the henchmen. Like, they must have looked at it and said, "All right, we need a strong henchman. We can't have Red Ramp six with the Necros and the Hans and all that." Although maybe they will have that next film. We'll find out. But and they just do it so well, and she is so great. Um, and she never ages. Famke Jansen, she's about fifty now, and still looks as good as she did in this film. I just want to. 
point that out there. Well, I'll say though, if you're watching the most recent, <laughs> if you're watching the most recent Wolverine movie, I think there have been some. Uh, there's been some assistance. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Um, and yeah, X-Men movies, we get to Ready, see Xenia on a top and Jinx. So um, yeah, just wanted to point that out there. Um, I'm not a Funke Jansen fan, nor am I a Halle Berry one, one thing though. I, you know, the funny thing is I never realized that until you said it, Ben. I don't know why it never occurred to me. Maybe because I try to forget Jinx as being in a body. And, and Boris is in, um, uh, is he in the first two X-Men, Alan Cumming? Yeah. So there we go. We've got Boris. The, he's in the second Boris, one. Zenia, yeah. and Jinx. That doesn't mean that Anna Paquin is going to be the next Bong girl. Sookie. It's it? Sookie from True Blood. Sookie. Um, I just, the, going back on the reboot and kind of just quickly what you were saying there. What? I mean, he's, consider this a reboot and then obviously 10 years later we have the reboot. I mean, obviously Casino Royale has a much different tone to this film. I realise that, but... You know, when you you were saying there, Noah, they, they had to sort of bring in these things and really go out there for classic ones. I mean, obviously, when we get to Casino Royale, great film. I'm not dissing Casino Royale, but it lacks on the henchmen. It lacks on sort of a, you know, besides, I guess, Vesper, the Bond women are, are pretty poor, I think, in Casino Royale. I guess Vesper is the star of it, so we don't really need too much. But, um, yeah, this is where I think Goldeneye holds it more of a candle on it, on it as a reboot. But anyway, um, right, we're up to Seven Iron now. We're in uh, We're in Russia. Yay. Um, and we, we get introduced to um, E. Harmony's number one Bond girl, um, <laughs> Natalia. You should put a small, <laughs> tiny little uh, context to that. Yeah, so just basically on the day of recording this uh, at my paid job, I got a media <laughs> release sent to me by dating website E. Harmony trying to cash in on the <laughs> release of Spectre. By basically saying that they have put through all the Bond women through their, you know, highly ana- analytical <laughs> dating services to find out the exact match with James Bond, who would be the perfect Bond woman. And Natalia came out at number one. And number two was Plenty O'Toole. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and the worst was freaking Tracy, like dead wife. So uh... <laughs> I want to know the factors that they put through to get Plenty O'Toole at number two. Like, what are people looking for? I will admit, I was on the panel. All right, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it... Jinx number three. Yes, Jinx was in the top ten. Uh, all right, so we, um, yeah, we meet Natalia. <laughs> we meet Boris. Uh, they're at this. Uh, Space Weapons Control Center, um, we hear a lot of slugheads um, sending spikes, um, Boris's trivia. Um, is he is he basically trying to be the Riddler from Batman at this point? Um, Jim Carrey is a Bond... No, okay. Um, so, <laughs> then we obviously get the helicopter. Here's Urimov. Here's, um, I was about to say Famke. Here's Xenia. Um, they're in, they're wanting to test fire Goldeneye, but not really. They want to just massacre the shit out of everybody and, um, then steal the, the weapon itself. Natalia's hiding in the kitchen. Um, we got one guy who's sort of alive enough to press a button to send in the MIGs. Um, and I love the, the faith that Urimov has is in his own, like, government's defense system. They'll take at least 19 minutes. That'll be late. Like, <laughs> fucking hell. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then we get, obviously, the great scene with Xenia. I had to hit the ventilate someone. I just love it. It's so good. And her moaning while killing everybody and then Oromov's face. Um, and sort of, it's all crossed in between here where we're getting, uh, Bond back at MI6, uh, meeting the new Tanner. 
And then we meet the new M. Um, I kind of maybe want to... It's going to be... I know a lot of this is happening all at the yeah. same time, but I, I might separate Maybe it. talk about the end of... Yeah, because I think really Love you've got to talk about M and Money Penny and Tanner all separately. So it's basically the Seven Eye stuff that's happening. We see that then um, off uh, Oromov and on a top go in the Tiger helicopter, which I haven't really mentioned too much, but I like it as kind of like this. You know, this is what the plot is really at the moment. Bond's trying to find where the helicopter is. He doesn't know too much about the GoldenEye weapon just yet. Um, off goes the GoldenEye satellite uh, weapon, uh, destroys Seven Eye. Natalia's got a do her best Rambo to dive away and um, save herself. The helicopters are not fussed by this. Down go the MiGs. And um, poor Natalia, she's uh, nearly getting crushed by a giant satellite. She walks outside, finds some dogs, and is actually getting watched by um, <laughs> satellites. Uh, that kind of sounds a bit weird when you say that, doesn't it? We'll be back. We'll be back with the dogs. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just this whole sequence. And I guess we can maybe briefly touch on Natalia and Boris here because it's a great little interaction. Um, I-, I find their chemistry, like, quite good, at least at the start. Obviously, they end up hating each other at the end, but just their playful nature, I think, is fantastic. Um, you know, Boris is just your atypical geek in an office, but it would be fun to be there and... Natalia, look, I used to despise Natalia growing up. Like, I couldn't stand her, but just every rewatch, I love her and love her and E-Harmony love her. because of the short hair, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's medium length. It's not long enough for you. <laughs> um, but Is that in the E-Harmony? <laughs> medium length hair? <laughs> but Alan Cumming... Plenty's kind of medium. Alan Cumming is such a good actor, and I, I, I'm going to... Murder her name, but Isabella Skoropko, am I saying that correctly? Also a great actor. She's sort of this Bond equal that's kind of living in a more feminist world at this point, which really works fantastically. Just her throwaway lines like, boys with toys, and just things like that is so good. And she looked, pro- yeah, top 10 Bond girl, I reckon. Um, maybe not number one on E-Harmony list, but... She just grows every single time I watch her, and just even the chemistry later on we'll see with her and Pierce is fantastic. Um, but yeah, and, and as I said, Alan Cumming, great actor. Boris, I love him. I'm going to label him as a henchman, even though he's sort of the geekiest, wimpiest henchman. Um, but yeah, so quotable, especially this scene the Boris, Boris. If anyone listened to Survivor Oz and remembers our interactions with Lancey and her partner, then they'll get that reference. Uh, But, yeah, so good, this scene. um, Still going on. I'm not going to nitpick because I'm loving this film. Um, Yeah, I mean, other than the detonation of the golden eye, these group of scenes, it's more about talking about the characters. So I guess that's basically what we'll cover here. Uh, Boris is a henchman, I think, hands down. He has more lines in this than Onatop has, I I think if you were to average them out, uh, it's kind of questionable for me. I, here's another thing. Is Boris somebody that they find and turn or was Boris behind this in the first place? Was he already grouped in with them because they needed a guy like him? Like, is that ever explained? This? Well, I think I kind of is. I think when um, you see, and we'll get to the bits, obviously, when they're sort of interchanging between them watching at MI6 and you hear Bond say, there had to be an insider. And that person there might mm. know who it is. Like I think that kind of yeah alludes because I reckon he goes out for that cigarette and he knows they're coming. So that's I reckon why he's gone outside. Yeah. To to sort of welcome them and make sure that they're they're there. Very good timing on <laughs> Boris's behalf. 
Yeah. I always assume the same thing, but I like the way you phrased it, Ben, that he went out to welcome them. Like, <laughs> welcome to Sevenaya! Slog hands. This is the installation you're about to destroy. <laughs> we have kitchen. I just spiked U.S. Cigarettes. Department of Justice. Slog heads. We have knockers. on, but can't take with you? <laughs> he goes up to the door. He's like, what is the thing you pull on, but you enter it slowly? <laughs> Open the fucking door, Boris. <laughs> I have to say, I have uh, kind of a similar reaction to Natalia that you had, but I had an even more stronger reaction to Boris. When I was younger, I hated Boris. He was so annoying to me, and I kind of get him more now. I think the fact that I hated him more had more, more to do with the fact that this, again, is 1995, mid-90s, so computers are really becoming very prominent in movies, uh, you know, Independence Day and everything else it was all about like computer hackers jurassic park had it there's a movie called hackers which i'm sure both of you have probably seen which is uh, it's one of those movies from the 90s that everybody who grew up during the 90s loves for some reason and i always hated this movie with a passion and there's something about boris that just reminds me of like an old man that would be hanging out with the kids from hackers (laughs) but now that I can remove myself from that whole mid-90s hackers all are deadly, you know, let's put a hacker in every movie, I enjoy him a lot more because he's he's very over the top and he's kind of annoying funny. He's not funny as in, like, you you want to see more of him. Um, but when he is on screen, you're like, I kind of want to slap this guy, but I like wanting to slap this guy. Not in, like, a Xenia kind of way, but in, in, <laughs> in a different kind you. of way. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Boris is, I think, a great henchman, and uh, Alan Cumming, again, I don't know how famous he was at the time, but this is one of those things, you go back and you look at it now, and you're like, wow, you know, Alan Cumming doing a Bond movie, it, it seems like it would be a great casting choice. With, they uh, just hired him because he has a Bond innuendo now. <laughs> Alan Cumming? <laughs> My name's Alan. Alan Cumming. <laughs> I wish they didn't name Boris coming. That would have been a great name. <laughs> but uh, he adds a lot to this movie. He adds a lot to the sequences in this movie where it's really just tech stuff and it's not that interesting. And I mean, I've, I, I said off air, you know, that I worked in tech support. I trained people in tech support for several years. And this is the type of guy that you would work with. So he's a very accurate character, too. Um, I, are we going to talk... I didn't hear that. What was that? I was just making a Boris calling. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we had people like that anyway. who could speak English and phrase my name like that. <laughs> but uh, are we going to talk about the M10 or Money Pennies or save that no, for another I, I sort of thought that one? can maybe be grouped in a bit separately because I, I specifically, I think, with the whole M Bond interaction, that's in very there. iconic enough that we should yeah. deserve to talk that separately. Well, well, let, well, I'll talk about Natalia just a little bit here. Um, she hasn't done that much in the movie up until this point. Most of her good stuff's going to come later. But I, I have the same reaction to you. For whatever reason, she she kind of bored me when I was younger. And you do nail it when you say she's a Bond equal. And I did complain, as I've already said once in this episode, about the whole idea of Bond equals needing to be agents who were just like James Bond. And that doesn't work. This is an example, again, about just like with Xenia, about how a Bond equal works because she is of equal importance in the movie. But she's a completely different type of character. Um, and the fact that she's not even a good computer programmer, as we learn later on, she works makes her more interesting. System. <laughs> well, still Second one of my level. favorite lines. We'll, we'll get to that near the end. Um, 
But yeah, even just the relationship with Boris, I mean, they set it up really well here. And this is something that's unusual for a Bond movie to have a henchman and a Bond girl introduced in a scene that goes for probably several minutes. And, uh, you know, when the whole thing with the, the golden eye explosion happens, there's that slow-mo shot, which again, looks kind of painfully dated, kind of like the one licensed to kill, but I'll just put it out there. I would much rather watch the slow-mo shot of Natalia diving than <laughs> slow-mo man boobs on <laughs> Felix Leiter again. So this is the best use of slow-mo we have seen in a Bond film. Up until this. You're going to say the best use of slow-mo boobs we've seen <laughs> so far. I, I avoided saying that, but that's the implication. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise Ben didn't jump in with hey, that one. Hey, I, I'm the host. I'm, in, I'm, I'm being good this episode. Ben, did you spot nipples on either Natalia or Felix in License to Kill? Um, <laughs> no, not really. And sadly, not really many nipples in the title sequence either. So, no, nipple counts low this episode. Yeah, it raises in the world is not now. enough, um, but uh, we'll get to that. Uh, were you done with that bit, Colin? Yes. Um, <laughs> call it. Uh, <laughs> this is probably my favourite scenes of the movie. Like, we kind of lost over the scenes in a way and you're right it's more introduction of the characters but i love it just has so much atmosphere and the way they set it up these people living out here in the middle of the snow these computer hackers i love boris getting into the, what the department of justice or whatever it is uh playing the games with them and he's got that little boris picture <laughs> like he's uh, what do you call it? Like his avatar. Yeah, he's really. Cool. Well, there's a thing in 1995. Love... Like, did we have like a aim or like MSN back in 95? Surely it's not the most safe thing to actually have it look like you as well. Like... You're working a secret government installation. Let's let everybody know what you look like too. <laughs> yeah, but I just love the relationship they set up and all the slug heads and knockers. It's hilarious. Um. And then the chair thing, which baffles me that, like, how she doesn't, yeah, we'll get to that. But um, I just really like the atmosphere of it. And again, this is kind of like from Russia with Love, Living Daylights almost. They're building upon this world. Um, and the, these, they're in this universe, there are characters living out in the middle of the snow as computer hackers. Um, and I've always been a huge Natalia fan. I've never found her boring or anything like that. But And then Zenja, just so terrifying, like when uh, Natalia's trying to get away and Zenja's chasing after her. And what does she say when she shoots the the vent? She has a good one-liner there. I'm blanking on it now. I had to hit... She said I had to hit the ventilate somebody or something like that. Uh, I always think it sounds like that, but I've never written it down specifically. I I had to hit the ventilate somebody. The explosion scene is just terrifying. Like, you can feel, like, the desperation in Natalia's character when your entire world has pretty much been blown up around you. The people you work with and everything, you've just seen people come in and shoot everyone to death and then... You're trapped in here, and when she's yelling out her name to try and, like, what is it, open the doors or whatever, and it's not working, and then the thing falling, it's just amazing flames everywhere and her escaping, and you just see, like, the way, like, the makeup and everything there. She just looks completely wrecked. Um, There's the I dog lo- there. She should have been like, go and get the brandy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love the way they set up this character and this. I like the way you put it, Colin, the equal importance and 
there's just so much attention to the character, and I don't think we've ever had a Bond girl that has this much of a setup or this much character detail and almost development as well in a way. Um, so I, I absolutely love these these scenes in the base here. Um, and, yeah, I, I like the equal importance because I'm not sure if she's a Bond equal in terms of the way a lot of people put it, like Jinx and all that. Um, and I think it's the perfect mix of, Bond girls don't have to be like agents that are just as good as Bond. Um, it's it works to have someone who's she's just a low level hacker, a low level computer geek, but she does have importance to the film and the chemistry between her and Bond are great. So I'm a huge Natalia fan. Not sure if she's number one on the eHarmony list, <laughs> but she's great. And as for Boris, um, I think he's great. I've never really thought of him as a henchman, even though I don't dispute the fact he is a henchman, but I don't know, he's just that comical character. But I love the relationship he has with pretty much every captain. He's just hilarious slugheads and all that. And then final nitpick, which <laughs> does not bother me at all, but it's just one thing I picked up that I've never really picked up on before watching this film, is everyone in this film speaks in English, which, like... <laughs> even though the majority of it is set in, like, what, Russia and other Bond films in the past have used subtitles in scenes and stuff like that, but everyone here is speaking English. It's never bothered me. It's just something I've picked up on this time. But I absolutely love these snow scenes and the character setups here. I was, yeah, I was about to mention that English one, actually. Yeah, it's, it's funny. They're all in Russia at this, you know, secret space <laughs> centre, and they're all just speaking. They're even, like, their names and sort of the... Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Uh, I guess we'll talk about Oromov later. We'll lump him into the, maybe a bit when he becomes um, you know, the tank chase or something like that. But uh, of course, cut through this sequence is um, you know, cutting back to London. Now, I, I love the way they do this, by the way. Just sort of the cutting in between the two, and obviously tying in them watching it on the satellite and. Um, making sure it's all connected and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, we get our very first shot, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, of actual MI6 in London from the outside. Um, we, we meet New Tanner um, in the sort of the control room. Have to say, I like New Tanner. Um, might put it out there. Best Tanner in Bond. Not sure. Maybe people are going <laughs> to disagree with me. Um, are you being serious? I like, what's wrong with this Tanner? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like glad we had that exchange. Well, that was a big debate. <laughs> <laughs> Are you being serious? Best, really? Yes. Okay. Well, do you, do you want to defend? I can. I do you can want to defend your claim? Well, I, I understand what's going on here. Well, I think. <laughs> Thanks for your contribution to that. Old Tanner was, you know, you could often maybe mistake Old Tanner for M, particularly, you know. Oh, I'm not talking about Old Tanner. Screw Old. No, but I'm just saying in terms. I, of... I think. I think what Noah's getting at is like it's not like there's a lot of competition for like the best Tanner out there. <laughs> I'm just saying Rory Kinnear is the best. Well, I, that's all I'm saying. I, oh, if that's what you're saying, then Noah, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I I like Brosnan allies. Like, I'm a big Robinson fan. I don't know if anybody really stands up for Robinson in the next couple of films. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I kind of like some of the, the really underused Brosnan allies that we get in his era of films. So maybe we can touch on them. But um, I love the whole uh, introduction to M, the new M, um, when we uh, see... Have I missed the Money Penny scene? 
I'm just going through my notes here. Yeah. Yep. Oh, because the queen of numbers. Yeah, I've missed the money penny scene. I will just, I'll just quickly finish what I was saying here. I love the fact that uh, Tanner's like the evil queen of numbers. Um, and then we get, we get to the <laughs> new M. And you know, if I want sarcasm, I'll speak to my children. We'll come back to M. Money penny. Sorry, Samantha Bond. Um, I, I, I know Noah's so going to rip shit into poor Samantha Bond. I fucking love Samantha Bond. Best money penny since Lois. And still the best money penny after Lois. Um, she's just... They, they modernise money penny. I mean, there's... Okay, there's not a whole lot of competition in the money penny department. But, like, she she's she's quick-witted. She's funny. She's attractive when she's got long hair. Um, and she's, you know... Oh. <laughs> she's just... She, she's used more than Lois Maxwell was in a lot of her films. And just this exchange, like, everybody talks up the, the M-Bond exchange. It's always, you know, shown the sexist, misogynist, dinosaur, relic of the Cold War. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm not taking down that scene. But this this little exchange between Bond and, and Money Penny, you know, when she's, like, talking about being on a date and um, and then the line when she's like, as far as I can remember, you've never had me. And then he says, Hope Springs Eternal. This sort of behaviour could qualify as sexual harassment. What's the penalty for that? One day you've got to make good of your innuendos. Like, it's just brilliant. I love their little exchange because it sort of, I think, Colin, you were the one who mentioned it, that so much has happened in this six years and we're in the mid-90s now. So uh, I sort of touched on it a bit before about sort of feminism. I mean, this is really now an era where, you know, sexual harassment and things like that in the workplace are taking more relevance. You know, you, it's it's sort of really women are standing up for their rights as they should have been for a long time, and they are now. So they're getting this equal treatment. We're slowly getting it. Um, and so this, I think, fits perfectly into a Bond film, which is seen as so misogynist and so sexist. We've now got these female characters, and particularly the secretary, who only, what, 30 years ago was sitting on his lap is now sort of standing up for herself and be like, well, this could be sexual harassment. Um, I just love it. I love the exchange. Maybe I'll just quickly go on the money penny sequence here before we get to M because there's, this is why I wanted to separate it. There's a lot to cover here, perhaps. But uh, yeah, just money penny, Brosnan, Bond, brilliant. Love it. Well, in about three hours, we'll finally be able to cover the Q scene, so that'll be good. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk just about Money Penny then. I'll talk about Tanner first just to get that out of the way because I don't think there's going to be a big, big discussion on it. Um, Tanner, even in the Brosnan films, is not that important of a character. But I think Michael Kitchen as Tanner is hands down the best. And that's because Michael Kitchen's the best. He wasn't really that well known at this point. He'd been in one of the House of Cards seasons, the, the British House of Cards. But. Since he's gone on to start a TV show, which is probably one of my favorite shows of at least the last 10, 15 years called Foil's War, um, going back again, seeing him in this now, it, it shows that they, they were on to, along with like Alan Cumming and others, catching some actors before their big breaks. I kind of watch this now and wish that Tanner did play a bigger part. I don't even think he plays that big of a part in the Daniel Craig's, but maybe at least equal, because I think he would have been really good. So Michael Kitchen is the best Tanner. Let's get that out of the way. Uh, Money Penny. Yeah, the funny thing is, I'm gonna have some complaints about the M scene, which is so famous because I think, in some ways, well, I get, we could talk about it here. The introduction, as you said, about you know, the 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 Queen comment, and you know, her talking about I don't let my children talk to me like that. I think that there are moments where they push it a little bit too far, where they're almost drilling it in more than they should. I, I like subtlety more than anything else. I think, as we said, the that Natalia is a more subtle feminist character and uh, with 
money penny i think the scene is a lot more subtle than what they have with m so i might be with you that i think that the money penny scene accomplishes this goal a little bit better because it doesn't feel a need to beat a dead horse and over and over again talk about how this is a different era and she holds her own with bond and there still is the flirtation there that's what i like because it's not like when you, when you said you know oh that could be sexual harassment She's saying it in a playful way still, so you still get the idea the relationship's there. It's just a different from one from what we've seen before. I really have no problem with Samantha Bond. I think that she's great. She nails everything that you're supposed to have with Money Penny. She is her own Money Penny, much like we see Naomi Harris as her own Money Penny. But not uh, Inspector. But <laughs> so good, Inspector. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> with Samantha Bond, the thing is, is that. For some reason, she's still kind of forgettable for me. Mm. Uh, maybe it's the 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 frequent, you know, short, medium, long hair. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's the problem. Just trying to impress Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> her entire her entire performance is all about getting on Ben Waterworth's good side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she wants uh, to I, live in that Monaco house. One mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. She doesn't have the charisma that. Naomi Harris and uh, Lois Maxwell have it is of course it's funny Ben saying you know she's the best one we've had since Lois Maxwell because <laughs> those rankings also officially put Carolyn Bliss as the second best one we've had since <laughs> Lois Maxwell uh, but yeah I mean it, it's a good scene and I think it accomplishes goal it's not as iconic it's not as memorable but I think for as far as accomplishing its goal as setting the tone for a new era I will agree I think the money penny scene is done much better um, just on Tanner, I do think Rory Kinnear is better, but I do really like this Tanner in the short scene that he's in, and it's a great bit of humour with him showing up behind him. It always makes me laugh. Um, Money Penny, uh, this is my favourite Samantha Bottom Money Penny, so I'll give you that one. Um, this kind of behaviour could qualify as sexual harassment, like self-referential to the changes, but I would argue that Money Penny is just as in on this flirting thing sometimes as Bond mm. is. Um, but you're right, it is a, like a jovial line. But still, if she was being serious, I would say that in some ways she was being inappropriate in the workplace too. But um, Yeah, I do think she looks better with the longer hair. Not that I agree with Ben's statements wholly on short-haired women. I, <laughs> we've covered that extensively we don't need to jump into that again um i don't know i just they have the chemistry not like connery and lois but they do have some chemistry i just think she isn't that memorable and she doesn't uh, what's the word she's just doesn't glow on the screen as money penny as a great character she's just there to fill the role i think I, I maybe spoke too soon when I said that Carolyn Bliss, the Barry Manilow Muddy Bitty was better. That was a dumb thing to say. Um, Naomi Harris, I don't know. Haven't seen the second one yet, but I'm guessing she'll be the second best Muddy Penny. So Samantha Bond probably falls in third place in terms of the four Muddy Pennies we've had, or five if we're counting Random Secretary and Never Say Never Again. <laughs> but. So, yeah, maybe when I said I hated Samantha Bond, I was jumping too far ahead. But there's just something that kind of annoys me about her. But I definitely like the fact that she was out on a date. I thought that was a cool touch to the Moneypenny character that she had to come in from a date and Bond getting a little jelly there. 
So my favourite Samantha Bond, Money Penny, she does the job fine, I guess. Well, I'll just quickly add because um, I know we're obviously going a bit long on this one, and we'll, we'll cover, we'll group a lot of things together. But the one thing I like about Samantha Bond is Money Penny, and she plays up a lot to it, and she she almost goes a bit campy and a bit silly with it, which I actually quite like because. I know um, we talked about Goodnight, um, sort of, Colin, you mentioned her, like, if you take it out there as a sort of a comedic part of it, it's it's a great character. And I'm not saying Money Penny needs to be a comedian. Like, we don't need a laugh track behind Money Penny, like, this qualifies sexual harassment. Ah! Um, <laughs> but, like, I mean... That's where she was. She was at a stand-up show. Like, Naomi Harris, like, yeah, I've only seen her in one Bond film at the time of this, and I can see kind of what they're doing with it. But I mean, I've got an issue with kind of her being an ex-field agent turning into a secretary. I don't really think that's something that is a real thing. But like, you know, like the fact that she's just, and you know, particularly when we get to die another day, just the whole playful nature of the whole virtual reality stuff and all that sort of stuff. I love it. It's great. But yeah, oh, we'll get to Samantha. Don't mention the virtual reality. Oh, I will. Oh. I will. Um, but yeah, no, we'll group. Yeah. The M one separately. Look, um, we, we touch on bits and pieces here, but it's, it, they, it's very iconic. We've got a female M. We went back on a view to a kill and said that Lois Maxwell did initially, say, wouldn't it be great if Money Penny turned into M? And they're like, ah, female M, you know, you're dreaming. Go back and wash the dishes. Um, but now, like, ten years later, we have a female M. And Judy Dench, um, yeah, went just fantastic, Judy. We're going to get used to her for the next uh, seven films. Because she dies in Skyfall. Spoiler alert. Um, oh, does she come back? <laughs> we don't know. Colin? Uh, no, sh- um <laughs> <laughs> Why is Australia so behind on this? <laughs> but I love, I love that we get Star Wars before you, haha. Uh, but uh, I think that, Do we? Well, technically. <laughs> um, <laughs> shut up. This is Bond. Um, I brought it up. Don't tell me to shut up. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking to myself. Um, <laughs> Ben's gone loopy again. Uh, if I could... I, I don't... Oh, sorry, you can finish, Ben, but I just had one quick comment to make before we lose the reference to this. I don't know if there really were people laughing about a female M in the 80s. I mean, we're, we're coming off of the very yeah. first film in the 80s where there was, in real life, a female prime minister, which, I mean, Canada's had one of those briefly. Um, I, I don't know if Australia has. America certainly has. We and have. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the idea of a female M was taken a little bit more seriously. It was just the idea of Money Penny being it. The, the characters kind of tainted at that point well, well i think a lot of this also was rumored to be there was a head of was it mi6 in the uk in real life was a f- mi5 MI5 was a female um so a lot of that was based off the fact um i think more so and they did it in one of the novels too i don't remember which one but one of the novels had a female M. I'm pretty well sure. i think it's great that they've done it because i mean we we talked about um what was it gordon dench or whatever his name was like it was way too similar <laughs> Uh, to Bernard Lee, and they've gone completely out the window here, throwing the rule book out. We've got a female M, um, and Judy Dench. Like again, similar to a lot of times, Collins has said that I don't know, sort of know how well established she was in the nineties. She's obviously very well established, Academy Award winning actress now. I mean, everyone knows who Judy Dench is, but um, she's just fantastic. And look, I, I think I, I think Noah might have Noah and I might have been talking about this, um, but sort of I think Judy Dench's. Um, connection with Daniel Craig and sort of their um what's the word I'm looking for there their um 
chemistry. chemistry thank you. Is is better than hers with Brosnan. I think their chemistry is fantastic. But I, I'm still going to put it out there. I think the the Brosnan Dench chemistry is still there, and I think this scene sets it up perfectly because we've kind of got a real dismissive Brosnan Bond here. You know, really like you know, oh yeah, you know, whatever. And then we even get the line straight away from Judy Dench, like you know, like me Bond. Um, you think I'm an accountant? Like it's it's great. And then, obviously, we get the very, you know... Yeah. Um, yes? <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I think you just cut off, but I assumed you were done talking. Oh, uh, you wish I... I think you're just always wishing I would cut off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, man! Um, yeah, we then get into, obviously, the very quoted line, sexist misogynist dinosaur, relic of the, the Cold War. I, I do... I have to say, I love the line, your boyish charms, although wasted on me, like... Do they have to add this line so people at home thinking even Bond could bed old lady M? Like, is this kind of the line there for people to be like, oh, no, they're not going to sleep with each other? Like, I just, I don't know why they kind of had to add that in there. Um, And, yeah, obviously we get the whole, you know, if you don't think I have the balls to send someone to die, I do have the balls. Um, it's just great. And then, obviously, we get the nice little line. At- Bowlers, 007. <laughs> then we, you know, after this hard as nuts, M, stamping her authority, you know, go girl power. Um, then we get the great little line at the end. Bond, do come back alive. And it's kind of like, then you get that little sort of smile from Bond. And that, that to me, is the moment. That's it. Bond is, yeah, okay, I'm going to listen to her. I, you know, whatever. I'm down with you. And the one thing that I will quickly add, I also do love right at the beginning of this scene, your predecessor kept some cognac. <laughs> what does she like offering <laughs> bourbon or something like that? Like there's always yeah. a lot of drinking between uh, Dench and Brosnan in these four films. Can I just point that out? We didn't mention there was another Bollinger in the car at the start. Yeah. Um, did that count? There's lots of alcohol. <laughs> I, I I don't know whether this was Ben's implying, but I just got a vision of Bond and M just getting completely tanked together <laughs> on a Saturday night. In Tokyo? While they're playing rock band with Felix and Della or something. <laughs> yeah, this could be the Tokyo thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing bad you could say about Judy Dench's M. She's fantastic. I will say, again, I, I do think that the scene, like you even mentioned the whole line about, you know, wasted on me. There's just a few too many mentions of what could be accomplished yeah. just with a few lines. Like, I like the thing where it's, it's more subtle. There's tension, the thing where she's like, where he's like, oh, your predecessor, this predecessor kept this in there. And she's like, oh, I prefer this. Like, there's a lot of tension in there. And then I think if you jump immediately to the whole misogynistic dinosaur and you don't like me, that works more effectively than to have it said in every single sentence. Because these are two professionals who are working together and it's just, they were really, I think, almost overselling her here. Now, having said that, the scene in and of itself is so iconic. It is probably, you even include Bernard Lee in there, this is the most memorable M scene of any M scene ever. And uh, there's nothing that can take away from that, even if they did go too far. Even they didn't go so so far. Even Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Rayfond. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean... When I say they went too far, that's not even a knock against this scene. I just think that there was a way for this amazing scene to have been one of the greatest scenes ever. And uh, it still is an amazing scene. Uh, Judy Dench, from what I could tell, she wasn't that famous. I think she was on like a British sitcom. I remember seeing an episode once on TV. 
Yeah, she Bond looked yo- she looked younger of than. Do you know you know what the show is, Noah? Yeah, I've seen it a few. I times. think I know the one you're yeah, talking I about. Too. It's not. It's got I, uh, what's his face from Tomorrow Never Dies in it as her husband. The other woman. Him. Yeah, I'm blanking on his name. Now. <laughs> no, the other man, Michelle Yeoh. As time Pre- goes by. Oh, Jeffrey. Oh, how Jeffrey Palmer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. They're both in that together. Yeah. Uh, and again, like, I think, it, well, by the looks of things, the show started maybe a few years before this, but she looked a little bit younger. I will just say that this is this is not my comment. This is my wife's comment as we're watching this. Uh, God. She's several times uh, made comments during particularly like the, the Daniel Craig movies about Judy Dench being a hot old 80-year-old. Um, <laughs> but... I don't think she's seen Goldeneye in years, and when we're watching it, we're watching it for maybe about a minute or two, and it's just silence. I'm not even commenting on the scene itself, and all of a sudden she goes, I think this old broad got better looking as she got older. (laughs) (laughs) Not my comment, my wife's. (laughs) Poor Judy. Poor Dame Judy. Your wife is a sexist (laughs) misogynistic dinosaur. She wouldn't have said that if it was a man. Judy Dench at 80, slightly hotter than Judy Dench at 60. <laughs> Look, I'd, I'd, I'd take Judy at any age, let's be honest. But her hair is short. <laughs> I can buy her a wig. <laughs> this is like Ben's role-playing. He's in, a, he's in bed with an old lady. It's like, just put on the wigs. Put on the wigs. Isn't it? Didn't we go over this? off, straighten your wigs. Didn't we go over this Dame in Riddick? Doesn't she have hot, long hair in Riddick? Does she? I don't know. I think Dame Judy is the hottest 80-year-old there is. <laughs> I think yes. Dame Judy is the hottest M we've ever had. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, she well, is. she is. Oh, You're right. right. She does Although that scene in Spectre, though, where Ray Fiennes put on that dress. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ray Fiennes is quite attuned to betting Qantas flight attendants. I don't think Judy Dench has ever done that. Well, I don't think Ray Fiennes is putting don't. on a wig while he's betting the Qantas flight. He's <laughs> <laughs> the opposite, isn't he? Bold, like going Potter. Yeah, Ben, you're have... not attractive to Ray Fiennes. He's got We're short hair. We're going to have comments pretty soon when we do Spectre about Ben saying, you know what? Ray Fiennes, hotter with hair than without hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'd put a wig on that, man. <laughs> don't get me started on bold men. <laughs> Bold men and short-haired women. Yeah. <laughs> You're kryptonite. <laughs> um, I think Cotlin started talking about M in a week. Um, yeah. Uh, this scene. <laughs> I, <laughs> put on a wig on her and be right. <laughs> Come on, you just... <laughs> oh god! How does it always come down to something stupid Ben says on these episodes that make us lose the entire thing? <laughs> Should we right put a wig on? <laughs> Here, Judy, try this on. <laughs> Ooh, a genuine horse right. hair wig. <laughs> this one's half you between be my horse and money penny circa golden eye. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> deep calm breaths. Um, so the M scene, <clears throat> short haired M. I, I agree. I think it is a bit too. Oh, they t- mentioned it too much. 
your predecessor, you're a woman, you're sexist, and then Valentin, I hear Emma's a lady, even though I kind of like that line, but they're just a bit overboard with it. But I think it's a great introduction to an M for a modern age, regardless of a woman. It's just, and there's a very, uh, her character between here and Skyfall are just very different characters. You could almost argue they're different people because um, they're so different. Um, and, yeah, I was wondering how famous she was. I, I'm guessing she was still well-known, but obviously not the same stardom as she has today. Um, but they really underutilize her. Like, she's only in pretty much this scene, but it is a great scene, though. Um, and I love that it's just an extended chat of them sitting down. I love the your predecessor kept some cognac in the top, and obviously that famous quote. Um, but it is one of my favorite exchanges between two characters in the Bond history. I love it, and it sets up the character so well. And it's kind of similar to the Bernard Lee one, where he's a cold, hard man slash woman in this one. But then she still cares for Bond, just as Bernard Lee Bernard Lee's M did. Um, I, I personally prefer Bernard Lee as M, but. Judy Dench is phenomenal and easily probably forget ranking them. They're probably tied for the best M's. Um, like if we don't have to rank them, cause she's just really great in the job. And this is one of her best roles as M, even though she looks and acts a bit differently. And I don't think this is, she's probably topped in that sounded bad in um, any of the other Brosnan films, except for, Maybe Well's not enough. She has a lot to do. But I love this scene so much. I think, uh, as we will no doubt get on uh, with Judy, that she definitely becomes more involved in all the plots of the Bond films, clearly, which I like. Um, be it man or woman, I think it's great that they incorporate M more into the plot of these films. So, um, yeah, and the show that we were talking about, as time goes by, um, just, yeah, I, I know that. Well, whatever, I said it again. Um, okay, so, uh, well, we kind of go through a uh, lump of some of these in, although we will obviously have to really mainly talk about the Q scene, but sort of before we get to the Q scene, we get um, evil bastards around a table again. It's a Bond trope, um, all speaking English, as Noah pointed out. Um, and we get General Mishkin, and now I did, uh, sorry, De- Defence Minister Mishkin, I apologise. Now, I did actually read that they initially wanted to bring back Pushkin for this from uh, Living Daylights, but it didn't work out. So this is kind of poor man's Pushkin, although I like, I like Mishkin. I think his sort of brief time on screen is still quite good. Um, we get Oromov showing... Henry's Davies in Goldeneye sounds pretty damn good. Though. Yeah. We'll, we'll go back and um, fix it up just for you then. Um, what? Uh, anyway, uh, so we get this scene, you know, Oromov coming up. You know, we've discovered that it was uh, Siberian separatists uh, who did this. I attended my resignation. <laughs> it's like, okay, not suspicious at all. Like, <laughs> I've discovered this, so I'm going to quit. And everyone's like, nyet, nyet. And it's like, oh, they seem they don't want you to quit. And then, of course, we find out, oh, dun-dun-dun, plot twist! There's another survivor besides Boris. Um, and I love I love Oromov. Like, the actor, I'm going to try and say, is it Gottfried? John Got- Gottfried? Is that really his name? Um, <laughs> what has he got fried? Gottfried? <laughs> Gottfried? I think, man, can you ever pronounce a name right? <laughs> Shame, I don't uh, think whatever. anyone has ever called it Gottfried. <laughs> Gottfried. <laughs> 
It's not a KFC commercial. Oh, anyway, but I love. I think he's a great actor because I love the scene there when he's like, um, obviously, you know, shitting himself that there's another survivor, and the way he just goes, "Yes, defense minister." Like he's just so like snarky. He's like a three year old, like going, "Yes, mum, I will clean my room up." Anyway, um, and then this leads into the Q scene. Look, this is this is fantastic. This is one of my favorite Q scenes, and look, the Brosnan Q scenes are just great. These are real. Just fun times. They're so good. We get the introduction of Q coming in the wheelchair. Sorry about the legs. Skiing. Boom. Hunting. (laughs) This is Desmond Llewellyn at this point. Like, he knows he's on his last legs. Pardon the pun. So he is just having fun with this. We've had a great era of, like, him going out in the field and having fun with Bond. And now he's just that playful grandpa retirement age. Like, we all know an older guy who's, like, you know, in his 70s or 80s. And he's just a hoot. You just want to hang out with him. He's got stories to tell. He's funny. And this is just cute at this age. Um, just the, the whole chemistry with between him and Brosnan is fantastic. Uh, we get introduced to the new Z3, the BMW. Uh, they've got this new film deal that the BMWs are used in the next three movies. And I was actually reading an interesting article that apparently it's one of the most successful ever movie tie-ins ever with the amount of BMWs that were sold sort of in this Brosnan period, apparently, like holds records for the most successful. And the amount of weeks that they sold after this. <laughs> yes. Um, Weak sale skyrocket. Uh, just there's so many things here. I'll just quickly point out: you have a license to kill, not to break the traffic laws. Um, <laughs> then we get the the uh, typical leather belt, like he's trying to sell it. And then we just get, I just fucking, I don't know why I laugh every time I see it. Like Brosnan, like he's like typical leather belt. Brosnan just sees a computer and just starts typing on it, just pressing buttons. And then he's like, "Are you finished?" <laughs> just so funny. It's not even... Yeah, that's kind of random. And then he's like, a typical little belt. I believe I'm familiar with the device cue. And then he's like talking about it. Meanwhile, in the background, we've got random guy crushed in phone box that they have to wheel away on a freaking like carrier thing. And you've got the guy there going... <laughs> and then we get the pen. Smith. And we get Freddy. I fucking love Q like going, let's ask Freddy here. Sorry about this, Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. He's got this. He really is gone senile. Now we've got this high-powered explosive that they're just happy to let off in the middle of Q Lab. <laughs> That's fine. And then we get, oh, we get a preview to fucking no. Sam Smith. Shh, shh, Colin. Shh. Um, and then of course the famous bit. Don't touch that. That's my lunch. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it there. It's gold. One of the greatest Q scenes ever. Wow. I'm not going to say one of, I'm going to say the greatest Q scene ever, and that's going to be controversial. Um, I'm just going to give a bit of an explanation here. Q scenes really started with Goldfinger, and I think we always talk about the Q scenes and the ones after that, but what I've noticed going through this rewatch is that we'll be like, oh, we have another Q scene, and then I'll kind of be watching it, or we'll be talking about it, I'll be like, yeah, it's okay, one or two things happen in it, I guess. Between Goldfinger and now, we have not had a great Q scene, I don't think, and this is almost like the dream scene. It's like when you're growing up and you watch the Bond movies, you love those cue scenes so much that you do kind of forget that a lot of them are kind of just plain and ordinary and just here, let's set up one gadget that's going to come in later. This was like somebody sat down. It's like you took a 10-year-old boy who watched all the Bond movies. If you were to write a Q-Lab scene, what would it have in it? All right, it would have a guy in a phone booth. It would have a pen blowing up a dummy. It would have... 
you eating a massive sandwich for lunch. It would uh, have Sam Smith references 20 years ahead of its time. Like, <laughs> hunting. Um, it, it's honestly, like, there. every single moment in this Q-Lab scene is amazing. And you mentioned even the lines. Like, you have a license to kill, not break, break traffic laws. Like, this is the ultimate Q scene. Uh, I, I love it. I don't think that anything even after this compares. And I think... We talked about how with the Roger Moore's uh, Q was more involved. Obviously, even with Timothy Dalton, Q was more involved. Uh, Q's pretty much just in the lab in all of the Pierce Brosnans, but they really step up the Q lab scenes here. And I think that's what the Brosnan era did that was distinctive, is that the Q lab scenes were, again, a highlight of the Bond movies, not just something to throw a gadget in there. This scene is just amazing. I'm not sure if I'm going to say the best, but... It would be up there, and I could definitely see the case being made for it because it's just got everything in it, and it's hilarious from start to finish. Um, you would think that it may not work having Desmond Llewellyn because we've got like new M, new Money Penny, new Tanner, not the Tanner counts, new Bond, new new director, new everything, new but it just <laughs> yeah. Um, it just fits so well. Like it doesn't feel like Desmond Llewellyn is out of place, and he's still that older. Like even in what from Russia Love, he was the older guy, but he's just that older eccentric, um, fessor type character, and it fits with Brosnan. The chemistry between him and Brosnan, like Desmond Llewellyn, is a special actor because he can have chemistry with any other actor or character there is because he works so well with. Connery and Moore and uh, Brosnan, like I love their relationship. It's kind of the the uncle or the grandpa who they fight, but he does care for him. The sandwich line is hilarious, and I love Freddy. One of my favourite <laughs> side characters in Bond history Sorry, is Freddy. Freddy. <laughs> I just yeah, love how he will ask Freddy and talks to him. Sorry, Freddy. And yes, the writing's on the wall. Um, <laughs> Um, so yeah I'm trying to think of other ones but it could seriously be maybe the best Q scene because it has everything it's got the background gags and it's got everything Uh, I think Jonathan Ross would prefer a ghetto blaster but (laughs) yeah it's really one of the best and just scene after scene this film is amazing I love it None of you wanted to talk about the evil bastards around the table. All right, cool. Um, going to lump a lot of all this together now. Well, obviously, we've covered a whole lot here, and we're really getting into it. But a lot of these ones now, we can definitely close up together. Bonds off to St. Petersburg. Um, he arrives, and um, holy crap! Oh no, it's Brad Whitaker's back. He's got to get his gun out. Oh, actually, no, it's not. Stop it, <laughs> Jack Wade. Um, AKA Joe Don Baker. Felix obviously hauled up in a retirement village somewhere with his legs missing, thinking of Dula. Um, I was always like, they could have brought Felix into this film, but I think just the more I think about it, it's probably more of a continuity factor that, yeah, you've got to imagine that poor old Felix is stumpy at this point, like, um, you know, wheeling around in a wheelchair or something. So him being in St. Petersburg doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, but yeah, we, I love this exchange. I, I love Jack Wade. I think, Noah, you're not a fan of him, but I, I like it. I, this is where Joe Don Baker actually can shine. It's not, you know, shitty Brad Whitaker. 
it's it's Jack Wade, and I love their whole sort of you know first connection. Where obviously there's meant to be sort of secret spy codes mentioned there, and, and you know Jack Wade's not buying any of it. Stiff ass Brit. Um, and then we get obviously the Rose. Show me the Rose, please. No, <laughs> Muffy. I love the way Brosnan <laughs> delivers that line. That is one of the best Brosnan lines in all of Bond. He's sort of like, he's sort of half holding it back. He's so embarrassed to say it. Muffy? (laughs) It's hilarious. My name is Muffy Galore. And and then obviously we get a little um, side in joke, whatever, when we get Jack Way turning around and saying, Hey, Bond, you do any gardening? Uh, A.K.A. Uh, James Bond, the real James Bond. Um, so yeah, then the car breaks down. We, I love, I love the way he keeps saying, <laughs> "Was the real James Bond a gardener? I thought he was a bird watcher." I think there was also a, a reference to a gardening, wasn't there? Some point with Ian Fleming, isn't there? Well, Gardener was one of the writers. <laughs> John Gardner. Oh, <laughs> anyway, I'll find the point there. Whatever. Um, lots of lots of gardens have birds. Okay, let's tie it yeah, That's a good point. Um, um, hang on, hang on, hang on. It I haven't finished. I haven't finished. Um, um, <laughs> he's getting excited. He's like, "Ben, shutting up." Not quite. Um, the, yeah. So then, with the car breaks um, down, we get this great little, you know, fixing up the the car. Hand me the re- the hammer. No, the sledge. Uh, the way that Wade keeps calling him Jimbo and Jimmy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We get to learn that um, to try and find the connection to to Yanis, um, he's trying to find him, obviously, there in St. Petersburg. Uh, Wade said he can point him to his competition, Zukovsky, Valentino Dmitry Zukovsky. I gave him the limp. Like, I just love that line. It's so good. Uh, meanwhile, at the same time, we've obviously got Natalia. She's also in St. Petersburg. She's shopping for computers. I fucking love this whole sequence which is in there, and obviously this salesman's all like, oh, yeah, a woman, and he's like, she's like, I need 20 for the American schools, 60 for the Swedish schools and he's like tightening his tie up like oh, okay and I love the little interaction when she's in the room and like he walks in everything to your satisfaction everything but the interruption, <laughs> interruption. love it and of course you know she's um, basically MSNing with Boris um, and yeah I'll probably close it just before we get to, to Zukowski because uh, yeah we get them driving sort of up to Zukovsky's place and also at the meantime we see Natalia meeting up Boris in a church and dun 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 there's Zenya we realise Boris is evil not that we didn't really already know that anyway so yes Jack Wade Muffy um, and Natalia buying IBMs and then going to a church with uh, Alan coming all over her face <laughs> It had to be said at one point. If anybody wants to really understand, I think we're starting to get... Ben's just one of those people that doesn't have that part of his brain that says, stop talking before you say (laughs) something. filter? (laughs) Ben doesn't know the definition of filter. (laughs) No filter. Um, I want to go back to something else you said that was kind of funny, Ben. When Natalia walks to the computer store and the the salesman apparently was like, oh, woman... (laughs) Like, ben seems to think the 1995 was this world where women were thought of as like lower than dogs or something. Like the feminist movement did occur 30 years earlier than this. I don't think the salesman was looking down on her for being a woman. It's Russia. All right, they're a bit behind the times. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Um. Hey, I'm the feminist voice for this podcast. We established that a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Let's start with Muffy Wade. Good old Muffy Wade. Uh, Muffy. I 
I saw these movies obviously before, or at least the first two before I really got into the Conneries. So even watching some of the Conneries out of sequence, um, I, I always loved Jack Wade. Uh, I think that he's much better character than he's given credit for because people often look at him and they're like, okay, well, you know, we already saw this actor. The actor's kind of just doing a good guy version of the same character. And it's just Felix Leiter, but not Felix Leiter. And I don't think that's giving him enough credit. I think that Jack Wade is a, a really fun ally character, and he's not too much. Whereas I think Brad Whitaker was so over the top, it was too much. And with uh, characters we talked about, like J.W. Pepper, too over the top, it was too much. It's just the right amount of over the topness with Jack Wade. Uh, I don't think that he's you know Dr. No Felix. I don't think that he's Casino Royale Felix, but... If you're looking at Felix as a whole, most Felixes are pretty boring compared to Jack Wade. At least they gave him some personality. It would have been nice in a perfect world because this is your book Felix character. You know, he's kind of the little bit of the southern guy, uh, a bit of a cowboy, uh, has this fun banter with Bond. This would have been a great Felix character in a perfect world, but there was no way to do that. Jack Wade's a good substitute. Uh, I love he drives the worst car in the history of mankind. I just imagine how uncomfortable Bond looks like sitting in the passenger seat of that. Uh, with the computer scene, I find it more funny. Again, this is one of those things that date the movie. You look back now and you realize the computer she's ordering is probably something that your parents would have laughed at. Uh, it's so <laughs> out of date. This is like, I just wanted her to throw in as like, uh, capable of running an identograph. Like <laughs> that's the criteria <laughs> for the software on this thing. Uh, but the thing with Boris turning, uh, I, I don't know. This is another one of those things where I wish that I had seen more Bond movies prior to this because I wasn't that familiar with this style of action movie. I don't know. Was it considered a surprise? Like, do either of you remember being surprised that Boris is there and Boris has been turned? Because I think we look back on it now and it's so obvious that this quirky guy from the beginning was going to be a henchman. So what do you guys think? I think because I saw it so many years ago, like when I was probably five years old, I think it's just something I've always grown up with. But I do think on watching it blind, I think a lot of people would be able to guess that he was going to be a bad guy, I think. But I can't say for sure. I'm pretty sure I was shocked because I, I think um, I remember sort of seeing that scene, like, oh, Boris is alive, he did escape, you know, he didn't get eaten by those dogs and... <laughs> Um, you know, I think I was kind of thought like he was kidnapped or something by them rather than actually was evil already. But, um, yeah, sort of, as Noah said, kind of now it makes a lot of sense. But, um, given that also we get that scene with Oromov, oh, I was only aware of one, like, because he's like your, your bum friend or whatever. But, like, you were too distracted that there was a woman on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> they don't usually. How does she even know how to type on this? <laughs> She can't type and make a sandwich at the same time. What is this? Let's remind this people. Must be 1995. <laughs> this is what fifteen years after Britain elected a female prime minister, their greatest prime minister. And fifteen years before Australia <laughs> would well not really elect one, have one steal the prime ministerial But we won't get into that. Two oh. years after Canada had one. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's get off the feminist feminist conversation again. Uh, I brought that up because, again, I want to talk... I don't know if we're going to... Are we going to cover Oromoth again? Oh, let's talk about him. We haven't... We I think we keep going, oh, we'll talk right. about him. We'll talk about him. <laughs> we skipped over... Yeah, because the thing is, we, as you mentioned, Noah and I kind of skipped over that other scene. This is why I brought up the thing with Boris, because every time I watch this movie, I wish that I could remember seeing it for the first time better, and I wish that I maybe had seen other Bond movies, because I can imagine 
no, six years in between Bond movies, those diehards from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I wonder if they were surprised at Boris coming back, and particularly with uh, Alec coming back, we'll talk about later, because up until this point, if you don't know who Sean Bean is, which, you know, even 1995, if you knew him from Patriot Games, you, you probably still didn't know the name, so you weren't watching the credits thinking, oh, this is going to be the villain. At this point, they're kind of promoting Oromov like he's the villain, and I wonder, that's the other question I have, is when watching the movie up until this point, if you take the fact that you know who Sean Bean is out of this, and you take the fact that you know the movie, and you're seeing this for the first time, does Oromov hold up well enough that you could possibly be fooling an audience as i assume they're probably trying to do at the time into thinking oromov is going to be the main villain of this film yes well i, I think so but my, my one thing with that is <laughs> yes. that going back to when i was talking about the marketing i mean one thing the marketing did badly is give away the surprise <laughs> he will be battling his biggest enemy 006 so like if you'd seen yeah, the well, trailer the you knew like <laughs> how much promotion did they have on sean because i remember reading about uh, what's it called? Seven. Um, Kevin Spacey. Mm. Spoiler alert! Yeah. Is the big bad guy, but he didn't want to be in any of the promotional stuff to spoil the big reveal because people would know. Oh well, he's going to be. He hasn't shown up so far, so he's going to be the killer. Um, so how much was there? Because I don't know too much about the marketing of this if, film. If, was Sean Bean heavily featured? Yeah, well, in, in a fair chunk of the actual sort of main trailers and the TV spots, it was very much like, as I said, like, he's now facing his biggest enemy at 006, and they show all the scenes of, like, you know, them in the in the graveyard sort of thing that she will get to soon and things like that. So there were several of the trailers that did. Other trailers just didn't show anyone. It was just more about the, you know, the witty one-liners and the action scenes and, you know, Bond and Xenia. But um, there were definitely trailers out there that gave away the big secret. And Oromov really wasn't featured too much in um, the trailers, except for sort of the, the reaction shots from the tank chase. But I would say even just in the context of the storyline of this, you know, promotion is something that's done after they film it. It still feels to me like they've written a script where they've mentioned Oromov several times and they're still maybe trying to convince you that he is the villain. So even if mm. the, the promotions for this spoiled it, um, I think that it's such an interesting idea to do it, and we're going to see how they you know, can change the villain later on in a few films. But I, I wish, in a way, they'd gone further with that and really done like a, a complete 180 on the audience because Ormoth is not a great villain, but you could have him as a passable villain at this point to be the main one of the film. Um, I would kind of agree. I don't know if he could hold the film... Um, as a whole, but yeah, maybe it could be uh, like a pigeon double take thing where it's uh, Oromov's the bad guy and then, oh no, it's Alec and then, oh no, Oromov really was the mastermind of everything and like a double twist or something they could have done. Um, but I don't know. But he's kind of weird. He's not the main villain and he's not a henchman. Like he's kind of unique in Bond in a way. Um, maybe he fits into that kind of Rosa Klebb type area where she's not the main villain, but she's also not a henchman. Um, I, I like him. I, I think he adds a lot to this film. I think the cast of this film as a whole was probably the greatest or one of the greatest collective casts in the entirety of Bond. So I think Oromov's great and does the role. And I think you would would be fooled that he is the main bad guy um, if you didn't know about Sean Bean. 
And it would be interesting to get someone to watch it now who has no context of this film to see how they view things like uh, Sean Bean and whether or not Oromov is the big bad. Um, I don't have too much to add on any of the other stuff, but just Jack Wade. I don't hate him. He grows on me every time I watch it, but I think Joe Don Baker is much better as uh, Wade as he is of Whitaker, who is mm. one of the worst characters in Bond history. Um, but I don't know. You said, oh, they couldn't really have Felix. Felix gets eaten by a shark in the second ever James Bond novel. And there's, what, 15, 14 Fleming Fleming James Bond novels. Yeah. Felix as a character is a character who has a walking stick, who has, what, metal arm or whatever and prosthetic mm-hmm. legs and whatever. That's what the Felix character is in James Bond. He, he featured in two films as Agent Felix and then the rest as Cripple Felix. And I'm not too too much into the whole chronology thing. I don't care. Like, they're Bond films. Let's watch them. Like, I don't care. Like, they have to continue on with everything. Like, uh, visiting Tracy 12 years later. Like, let's not jump into that again. But She's dead. I think it would be cool to have a Felix and not have him, like, you know, wheelchair or something, but just to have a Felix who maybe has a limp or something like that. And even if it is Joe Don Baker... Just call mm-hmm. him Felix, and you don't even have to do it. Don't be like uh, where we were talking about subtleties with M or lack of subtleties. Just have a subtle, like, maybe reference there and a, a walking stick, but still a funk. Like, this is nine years later or, like, seven years later or whatever. Um, so he had time to recover. I just don't understand why it wasn't Felix, and it, I think that would strengthen the film if you had a bit of a nod to the past film. I think the answer to that is that we would lose pretty much the best one-liners uh, in this whole exchange, several of them, which all deal with these two guys not knowing each other. We'd never have Muffy if that was <laughs> yeah, the case. Muffy. But we could have Adela tattoo. Dilla! Muffy! Yeah, I see your point. I, I agree with your point. I mean, Brosnan's, what, the only Bond actor that doesn't have a, a Felix or Lazenby, didn't, did he? Was there Felix? No, there wasn't. Was there? I, yeah, he didn't show up to the wedding. That's right. Yeah, duh. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, the only the only decade really not to have um, one. But, yeah, I see your point. Good point. But I still like Jack. Um, just quickly, sad uh, with with God, Godfrey, Godfrey, whatever, Oromov, the actor who played Oromov. Um Yeah, sadly passed away in 2014. I actually didn't know that. Um, died of cancer last year. So that's it. That's, a, that's sad. Um, but yeah, he was German actor, several German films and I, I love him. I think he's great. Um, and yeah, I like a remote, but yeah, it's a good point you make sort of Colin with, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a common thing with the, the Brosnan films kind of, oh, this person's a villain. Oh, da, da, da. they're not really like, there's always sort of the hidden reveal of who really is the villain with the exception of tomorrow never dies. I mean, each Brosnan film features some form of that. So um, this probably is the only one that I know that I wasn't shocked, I guess, that um, Trevelyan was there because I think even the first time I'd seen this, I knew it. Maybe it was from playing the game first. I don't know. Um, all right. Um, Zakowski scene. Uh, you know, again, I said I'm going to lump a lot of these together, but feel this deserves its own. Um, <laughs> it's Hagrid. Hagrid's here. Um, Russian Hagrid. <laughs> We're talking about Voldemort. Hagrid's in it. Um, 
But I love the, the introduction is so iconic. I think we, we talked about um, in what license to kill. We had, you know, what are we going to put up for the Hall of Fame? We don't have too many in this film, I feel. I just love this this uh, sequence with him walking through his club and complaining about the economy and <laughs> the gun. Walter PPK, 7.6 millimeter. Only three men I know use such a gun. I believe I've killed two of them. Lucky me. I think not. It's fantastic. And just, you know, he's just absolutely bagging the shit out of James Bond. Shaken, not stirred. <laughs> and in the meantime, we've got Mini Driver in the background. Got Dracula. Please, Dracula. We've had the Hulk, we've had everyone else in the Bodfields, so why not Dracula? I, f- I want to suck your blood. <laughs> I fucking, fucking love Mini Driver. Like, Irina, my yes. mistress. Not by your man! Oh, it's so good. Like, we talked about kind of... Future Academy Award nominee. <laughs> Serious is it Bond just me, or is mixed with... this another case of Alan Cumming? Like, Mini Driver sounds like a Bond girl now. Yeah. I think <laughs> My name's Mini. I think we're, dis- Mini driver. we're discovering, like, no, you just said a few moments ago, could be the best collection. I'm going to put it out there, the best collection of characters and actors because this is, like, the stamping ground for future stars. I mean, I think Mini Driver probably was a bit of a bigger star back in the 90s and some of these other ones are going to be big stars, but and just the whole situation <laughs> where, like, who's strangling a cat? Women acting in the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> Strangling a cat, strangling a cat, shoots him. That's Irina, my mistress. It's like, Irina, take a hike. It's so good. Um, I just, Vladimir. Hold on, we need a bit of that in the end. Vladimir is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite allies. And like, I just love this about kind of these, the Brosnan films that these allies return. We get Wade return next film, and obviously Zukovsky, spoiler alert, comes back in the world is not enough. But. Oh, he's just so good. Uh, yeah, I, I've I've said I've said it. He's so good. Zakowski for president. For president of which country? Uh, Georgia. <laughs> or, or or Transylvania? Um, <laughs> Romania. There we go. Yes, Transylvania. <laughs> Uh, well, first of all, again, we should mention, yeah, we're, we're running across all of these actors who weren't really big at the time, and just looking at here, Mini Driver had done one movie prior to GoldenEye. Uh, I, oh, really? I highly doubt this was even meant as a cameo. It was probably just, I can, like her agent, you know, you have a movie coming out. I can get you a small part in a Bond movie. And she's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You're going to be. Can you do good, bad singing? Yeah. <laughs> How bad can you sing? Oh, um, man. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> that was better than her. <laughs> what? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Krzykowski uh... is I... not so good, but your mini driver is fantastic, man. <laughs> I try. Yeah. yeah, I love Zukovsky, and this is another interesting thing that I don't think really took off with the Pierce movies. Something they tried that didn't take off, at least. But I don't think it was. It was maybe through lack of effort. You know, they tried to make Tanner um, slightly more uh, important character. You know, you mentioned Robinson comes in later on. We have uh, Zukovsky here, which is a character that's going to Jack Wade too. these characters that are introduced that are going to come later on. We always know that going back to Dr. No broccoli and Saltzman always intended for them to create these supporting characters that would pop up in every movie. And, you know, we, we still have money, Penny and M and Q here, but I really think that the Brazen movies made this attempt that they wanted to have these characters that would pop in and out. You didn't have to always use them, but they could be there. And Zukovsky is one of them. And he's probably the most successful. He's the one that, 
even though it makes no sense for him to be in the world is not enough really uh it's so much fun to have him back and i i think that they succeeded with the characters they just didn't succeed with the project if you want to call it to reboot a new supporting cast uh that's probably just because they didn't have enough films to be honest but th there's nothing bad just like with you know judy dench's m and xenia on a top nothing bad you could say about zukovsky i mean this is an amazing character robbie coltrane a great actor what i like best about this is that you know we talked about how in from russia with love the most interesting thing was that there was this world going on behind the scenes that wasn't really part of the the story and i love that in this they're they're playing up on the fact there's been a gap with bond and there's this whole storyline that happened before between bond and zukovsky that you don't really even have to have explained it's just fascinating to have this world that existed before goldeneye and it's still alluded to in this it, it makes it feel like you're dropping into not a re true reboot but like a continuation of stuff you haven't seen, like how Star Wars, they'll reference things that happened in the past and you're not supposed to understand it. Uh, Zukovsky is one of the best characters. And you might be right. This could be one of the best cast of characters that Bond has ever had. Uh, I love even again, I'll just mention almost any time this comes up, the, the fact that this misperception that superhero Pierce Brosnan, he has a gun pulled on his penis in this. And this is the only time we ever see Bond flat out panic. He starts talking about, no, 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 me in the dick. You know, like. <laughs> Shut in the dick. <laughs> it's something that you never see Bond do. You know, Bond, Sean Connor would sit there and he'd be like completely cool about it. Roger Moore would kind of raise an eyebrow and make a joke. Pierce Brosnan loses it over his balls being shot off here. And that shows that he is, he's a vulnerable Bond. If we're going to take one thing away, this is the sensitive, vulnerable Bond. Daniel Craig would say, to the yeah, left a little yeah. bit more, it's itchy. Yeah, to the left. To the left. <laughs> you need uh, Valentine, Valentine saying, this one's for Strongberg. <laughs> shoot, shoot him in the dick. Um, <laughs> I love this entire scene. Like, Mini Driver just steals the show for 30 seconds that she's in it. Um, and again, yeah, they're just building this world and they're building that this is a... Cold War film, post-Cold War and all these characters and that there has been this nine-year gap between Alec and everything like that. I love the character. We've just come off Wade as a Bond ally and we've got another new Bond ally who's kind of a bit of a Columbo, Draco almost, how he's not really a good guy but he's still a Bond ally. I love that they have a past connection. I love... Uh, Zukovsky's uh, like henchmen that are with him laughing their heads off at Bond um, and I just remember playing as Valentin in GoldenEye game a lot of the time that was like my character that I played as in the multiplayer four player mode against my brothers um, so probably what yeah when we had cords to actually play the game <laughs> Ben um, <laughs> but it's just such a great scene um I'm not sure if I love him back in Wolves not enough, but I do think there was so much potential for this to be a recurring character. And, yeah, the cast of characters. And everyone has their own little moment in the spotlight. And I don't think there is a weak character in this game at all. Uh, game. <laughs> in this film at all. You could probably find one or two, but it's just 
This cast is amazing. I love Valentin. Uh, uh, I loved the scene in the GoldenEye game where you played as Mini Driver and had to strangle a cat. <laughs> <laughs> it was my favorite level. Um, I'll defend Sikorsky in the world enough when, when we get to it. I, I think he serves a purpose in that film. Um, one quick thing I quickly... I, I <laughs> wrote this one down because I just love it when he's like going on like, My knee aches! You know how long the cold winters last here? Mm. Tell him, Dimitri. Well, it depends. Silence! And just the face, the guy who plays Dimitri's face. Oh, it's such a great little facial expression. So funny. Uh, we should also mention real key plot point in this uh, little exchange when um, Bond's obviously getting some money organised for Zukowski to try and get a meeting uh, with Yanis. We learn that um, Yanis, the leader... Uh, child of Len's Cossack parents, um, who sort of were tied in with the Nazis, and there was a whole. Did you say Len's? It sounds like Len is a character. It is, it's Len's. Len's Cossack parents. Um, and, you know, Lens. old connection about being betrayed by the British government after being sent back to the, the Soviets and all this sort of stuff. So this sort of obviously sets up what Trevelyan, why he's so pissed off against the English government. Um, we then, uh, get Bond in this beautiful looking spa. Can I just say that? I want to go swimming in that water. Um, um, there, obviously, for the exchange. And who walks in? It's our favourite person in this film, uh, possibly. Xenia. Uh, we get a lovely little uh, exchange, more uh, little quips by these two. Uh, I fucking love the bit where he shoves her down on the ground and she's like, you don't need the gun. Well, that depends on your definition of safe sex. And just the look on Xenia's face is amazing. Uh, interesting little tidbit in this scene when Brosnan shoved uh, Jansen against the wall uh, she he actually broke her ribs because she uh, wanted him <laughs> deliberately to be like, look, do this rough. We're going to do this right to make it look real. And he got a bit carried away and poor, broke poor Famke's ribs. Um, they are dedicated to their art. <laughs> that is admirable. Uh, we get, you know, obviously Zenya's trying to crush Bond, but he breaks free. And we get random guy coming in to stop the fight, but Bond gets rid of him. Um, and I love the bit where Bond's like, no, 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 no more foreplay. Take me to Giannis. Yet! Um, so, yes, we then get to the the graveyard sequence. Uh, Bond judo chops Zenya. And this is a fantastic set. This is just amazing. And the music, like, we haven't really talked too much. We keep saying we're going to talk about the music. But just kind of like this, you know, raw, like growly Russian dictator music. I don't know what you call it, but sort of walking through this graveyard. <laughs> no, I was having a stroke again. Um, with all the um, statues, it's just amazing. I love this setting and how well it's filmed. And then it's broken by a subtle little, hello, James. And, oh, it's so good. It's amazing. If you didn't know that if you didn't seen the trailers and you had no idea, you thought Sean Bean was dead ages ago. Here he is. Like, what the fuck? And just a look on Bond's face sums this scene up. Uh, we learn about, um, obviously, uh, the betrayal and why he is doing what he's doing and he's an evil prick. Just this exchange is fantastic. So glad Sean Bean is back. This is the first time I think we ever find out that Bond's parents were killed in a climbing accident. Am I not? Am I mistaken there? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. So we learn... Colin, <laughs> we, be careful. We learn a little bit... But will it be the last? <laughs> <laughs> learn a little bit there, um, and he ends up shooting him in the neck, not the dick, uh, with a dart for England, James. Uh, shoved in a helicopter. Oh, Natalia's back. Um, remember her? And uh, we get this whole sequence of about to get blown up in the Tiger helicopter. Um, I do have to say one of my favourite bits here is when uh, Bond's trying to drop a one-liner 
and clearly he gets no reaction. So he's like, I'm a little tied up. Never mind. <laughs> like, <laughs> he kind of just has to shut his own one liner down because he didn't get a reaction. He's bombing. They, they escape. They uh, go down. Bond gets a bit rapey with Natalia. Well, not really. He just wants to see who she is. And then they get kidnapped by the Russians. Like, right. um, so I'll stop there before we get to the uh, level where uh, Noah kept killing me uh, with his hat. <laughs> <laughs> In joke there. Uh, I've covered a lot there, but yeah, fantastic. This this scene, again, we're going to struggle to fit so many scenes into our Hall of Fame because this whole sequence of him in the graveyard and just the exchange between him and Trevelyan is fantastic. But uh, yes. Oh, that's exactly what I was about to say because you talk about the scene between Alec and Bond. Uh, the, the scene with them ejecting out of the helicopter, that could be a Hall of Fame scene in a different scene. The scene between him and Xenia, I'll put it out there. I believe that is the clearest choice for a Hall of Fame that we've had in a long time. Uh, that scene mm-hmm. is played, it's one of those scenes that's played over and over and over again, especially the, the No More Foreplay line. And this is Xenia and Bond. and I can't think of any other scene in this film that is more memorable than this one. We talk yeah, so much I can't about wait Xenia. to get to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's going to be a lot to debate in that one. Uh, but. I love what the right. Xenia, again, Xenia is so good. The, the greatest thing, this is all I wrote in my notes here, is it's so hard to tell whether Xenia is horny or trying to kill Bond. Nobody knows, and that is why she is so awesome. Uh, <laughs> that's all that needs to be said on Xenia. That is such a crazy scene, and it makes it even better knowing that they were hurting each other in that scene, too. The scene with uh, uh, Alec, uh, again, like it's an iconic scene. This is the type of meeting with the villain that you don't really get to see that often anymore. Um, I, I didn't really notice how I was watching this, but most of the Brosnans, the villains, are introduced a lot earlier than this. And if you discount that opening scene, we're well over an hour into the movie, and the villain and his plot is only now being revealed, which would have been normal for Dr. No or uh, You Only Live Twice or you know, On a Majesty's Secret Service even to a certain extent. But this is not something that Brosnans are known for. Their villains come out right away. And this is kind of the last time we're going to see that uh, until at least Skyfall. And it's, it's one of those staples of Bonds that I love. And the way they filmed it was fantastic. Um, the, the helicopter escape, again, I said that that would be an easy Hall of Fame in any other one. Uh, there's so many good one-liners here. Uh, like where he comes up, the things we do for frequent flyer <laughs> mileage. I mean, yeah, it's cheesy, but Pierce is enjoying delivering it. You mentioned the scene where they're captured by the Russians. There's that really good line in there, which, again, almost this is the point where they're starting to play up on those Bond cliches that they've never really been very self-referential before. And here we have him talking about, you know, no chit-chat. Nobody takes the time to do a sinister interrogation anymore. It's, it's just such a brilliant line. They're referencing the way Bond movies are perceived. And uh, at the same time, it's not like breaking the fourth wall so much. Like this never happened to the other fellow where it takes you out of the movie. Um, yeah, all of these scenes are fantastic. And Pierce is just giving it his all in this movie. He's loving everything he's doing, even though I don't think this is his best performance as Bond. Everybody has to grow into the role. But I mean, Pierce is having so much fun in this and that really shows. I absolutely love the Alec reveal scene and just the discussion. It's so moody and atmospheric and the location, the settings that they're in. Um, my nitpick is with it is the soundtrack. Soundtrack That piano piece that's playing over the top of that could have been so much better. I don't uh, think that works at all with yeah. 
it's just like cheesy background restaurant piano music um, played over this massive epic scene. So that, if I could re-edit this film, that would be one of the very minor things I'd change about it. Um, that kind of takes it away a bit. But I just love that this film kind of has this mystery of like the Janus thing and who is it and what is it and then the reveal of Alec. Um, and I love that there's a reference to Bomb being an orphan in there as well and you get to pretty much all about Alec's past in that bit there as well. So I that scene, you just talked about the Xenia one. I am potentially putting that one up there because it's just such a fantastic scene and like most scenes in this film really but that stands out for me if only they'd changed the piano scene this is just one of the most i don't know if you'd call it emotional but tense and i would say unique eerie yeah and unique yeah eerie is a good one and unique scenes in bond history up until this point it's just fantastic we um you mentioned a bit in uh, Spy Who Loved Me, the sort of exchange between Moore and Anya when they were going on about, you know, uh, I will kill you after this is all over and how that's one of the best performances by a Bond sort of in that bit. I'd put this scene up there almost uh, as well because I, I think just Brosnan's acting in this scene, you know, I trusted you, Alec. Just, and just, I don't think Brosnan's over-special in this scene compared to the oh, rest. I, I, I disagree. I just think the way he handles it is fantastic. Just, you know, his facial expressions and just the way he's reacting to this whole situation. Um, there's pure shock on his face. He is just absolutely just baffled by this whole situation, and he's gutted. I think it's just, I think it's just fantastic. And the music, uh, I mean, look, I think this is a soundtrack that really warrants listening to it by itself. Um, I know it gets a lot. Of, no, I, I, I think it is. I think it gets a lot of shit. This soundtrack. I think it's worse listening to it on its own. I don't think it's one of the best soundtracks, but I, I don't think it. I think it's unfair that it gets a criticism that it does. They tried something different. It's very unique music for a Bond film, and there are bits that definitely don't work. But I mean, coming up to, a... I don't think it's unfair compared to some of those John Barry scores that we had. No, I just, I just think it'd been a gap. They, they tried something. They, they went for something different, and it, yeah, it works a bit better than some I'll, people. I'll just say, I a couple of years ago, I put together like a best of compilation CDs where I had like the best of you know, the first four or five films and then the seventies ones. And I put like all of my favorite moments from all of the scores of all bond movies ever. And I would average probably about 15, 20 minutes worth of music from each film. I use 60 seconds of music in my <laughs> <laughs> best of Pierce Brosnan's from golden. There is one. Golden I like it here. So did you, did you use uh, more than 60 seconds from the die another day soundtrack? Yes. Good. Probably up to 10 minutes from Dino there. That just tells you. Oh, you loot Madonna quite a bit then. Um, all right. So, yeah, well, you, you kind of touched a little bit on the... I, I, yeah, I love that exchange when they're in the thing and he's like, yeah, you know, time for interrogations, everything. And we get evil bastard Oromov coming in and just killing the defense minister of Russia. Um, <laughs> she too. Um, I love that whole exchange there. But then we get this uh, archive scene. It's fantastic. Um, oh, it's so good. And then we, we've gone quite a while here without Bond killing anyone. Well, he makes up for it in the space of about 60 seconds. Um, I don't think I'd freeze-framed uh, a Bond scene as much as anything to try and get this kill count. I rewound and went back and rewound. And went, I'm still going to be wrong. 
Um, <laughs> I love this whole sequence then, and like Bond's about to get the belt, and sort of even just a little quips there with Talia, and he's just like, "Trust me," and then she falls through and gets kidnapped anyway. Um, and then it leads into look, we're, we're talking about Hall of Fame. There's probably two that I think we're all going to agree on that will be in there. This is probably it. The tank, this is one of them, I should say. Uh, the tank sequence, it's amazing. Um, you know, Oromov with Natalia driving in his shitty little rust bucket through the streets of St. Petersburg. Then all of a sudden, through a brick wall, here comes Bond in a tank. Um, driving through the streets of St. Petersburg. We get the theme played. Oh, it's so good. Um, this was sort of half filmed in studios in London, half filmed in St. Petersburg. Apparently a lot of people uh, in St. Petersburg and seeing this film thought it was all legitimate and got all pissed off that they were destroying their art. Um, but, yeah, like, just so many bits here that some of my favourite bits uh, are of, use a bumper, that's what it's for. <laughs> Like, just running over Grand Theft Auto people. Um, drunk Oromov, like, drinking out of his thing the whole time. Um, Oromov is quite great in this oh, entire scene. So good. And Natalia as well. Like, just her little, you know, she's smiling. She's loving it. Um, you know, here comes Bond chasing after her. And oh, I was saying this to Noah, one of my favourite scenes in Bond movies. I just There's just something about this scene that I love so much is when he's got the horse and he drives it and it sort of falls down onto the street. The two police cars come into it and they ram into the arse of Bond, as in the, the tank, and he just sort of, he turns over, looks, straightens his tie, then he drives off. It's fucking brilliant. Oh, I just love it so much. And it kind of all leads in, obviously. They go back to this uh, armoured train. Uh, somehow Bond manages to get ahead of the train, then he's above the train, then he's in the tunnel. Don't know how he managed to, you know, same speed that was going in the moon buggy back in Diamonds Are Forever. Somehow we can get some extra turbo going on there. Uh, and then we're on the train, and uh, we get this sequence where Trevelyan gets super rapey on Natalia. Um, then Bond gets in there after blowing up the train and making them all fall down. Uh, we get the fantastic line from Trevelyan, why can't you just be a good boy and die? Uh, well, you did kind of lock him into a helicopter before and didn't just shoot him, so, I mean, maybe you got yourself to blame there, Trevelyan. Um, and then, <laughs> then Bond's quip of, you first, you second, <laughs> two on a top. And, of course, another great line here, too, is um, the killer. She means nothing to me, which is 100% correct. She's only known her for 10 minutes. So yeah. that is that just sums up Bond. <laughs> That's a good point. It sums up Bond movies. There's so many of these that could be thrown in there. But I just, I just the way he delivers the line, Bros, and it's fantastic. And, of course, later on we get sort of the revenge line from Natalia. Um, and then they escape in the helicopter. Um, Natalia is cracking the code on a very conveniently placed computer that just happens to be there. <laughs> and we get the whole situation of, what is another name for your bottom? What? It's Boris. He likes to play word games. You sit on it. You can't take it with it. Bond straight away is just like, a chair? <laughs> like, it's not... <laughs> Which, well, you can like take... the rest a... of the audience. You can take a chair with you. Um, just want to point that out, Boris. Um, and then they escape, and then they make out after uh, Trevelyan obviously sets the timers for six minutes. The same six minutes you gave me. I covered a lot in there, and there's very iconic scenes. I realise that. There's sort of three really big key scenes all together, but, uh, yeah, so good. And don't nitpick it, nor I'll slap you. <laughs> um, 
uh, this episode is going to go on forever because not only do I have a lot to talk from these scenes, but there was a very important thing I forgot to mention in the last one that I need to bring up first. Uh, Alec Trevelyan is... Okay, his character is not really written properly in this movie. If we do a timeline here, they establish in the scene earlier that you know he is the son of these you know, former, basically, Nazis during World War II. And it was after the end of World War II that he was taken away or whatever. So he was born at the very latest, 1945. Is Sean Bean really supposed to be a man in his early to mid-50s in this movie? <laughs> um, it's the biggest plot hole that... Uh, I think any of the Bond movies have, and they even acknowledge it because this script was written to be an older man. Mm. In fact, it was supposed to be Anthony Hopkins they wanted for this, and he dropped out of the movie or you know didn't sign on for whatever reason. They maybe it was too late in production; they couldn't figure out how to rewrite this and take the whole Nazi thing out of there, so they left it in. But like Sean Bean is not even in his mid forties, let alone his mid fifties. Here, that's a huge plot hole that. It's kind of funny. It doesn't really change the movie at all. It's just hilarious that he's supposed to be that old in this. Uh, if we talk about the tank chase, I mean, there's there's nothing. You covered all the best bits there. The thing with the horses, it's so funny because, again, if that happens in... I was talking about with the Timothy Daltons that sometimes Timothy Dalton gets away with doing stupid things that even Pierce Brosnan wouldn't get away with. I think maybe it has to do sometimes with the movies because people don't really criticize that. But if that happened in Die Another Day, like, oh... Pierce Brosnan would be murdered. Like that's It's so over the top. It's so ridiculous. But it works in this movie because Martin Campbell has the right balance of campiness and humor and violence. Um, I'm going to say I'm pretty confident on the kill count. I think the biggest debate is going to be about kills that may not be as clear on screen because I did watch these in slow motion, both this and the opening one. So I'm confident that I have the amount of people that he personally shot with a gun in this. Uh, but yeah, the tank chase is fantastic. And this is a violent bond. It's really funny that, again, Pierce Brosnan doesn't have that reputation because we're going to get to the kill counts and it's going to be off the chart even when you're just including the ones that are face-to-face -face kills, whereas most of, a lot of Moors, I'd say, were ones that happened off camera. Um, what else we have? The train scene, again, that's like a fantastic scene. I'd argue that Sean Bean is more on fire in that scene than he is in anything else in this movie. I mean, that is his villain moment. Him licking Natalia's face, I mean, it is so creepy. Uh, I, I love the, the whole play he has with Bond and the, the, the thing, like he said, with Bond saying, she means nothing to me. That comes back later on. It's just such a great moment. And the escape from the train, I mean, I never really remember this as being one of the more exciting action scenes, but I think it's a perfect example of what Martin Campbell did for this movie and just making it intense and exciting because there's such an urgency to the scene. And this is the same thing with the, the helicopter escape earlier. You had Natalia screaming in that, like, wake up, wake up. And in this, it's Bond doing the opposite. Like, we got to get out of here. And she's like, no, no, just one more minute on the computer. Like, there's so much tension in this scene, and yet it's not about it being tense, you know, through building this... Uh, uh, like we talked about the graveyard scene, they just had like this mood and this atmosphere that was great. This is just you have the characters have a sense of urgency, and that sold how tense the scene was. And let's give total credit again to the cast in this; like they they all came through just in making this such a fantastic movie and such an exciting movie. Uh, yeah, I love the archives action bit. It's just I love Pierce Brosnan and a machine gun. It works so well with him. Um, 
I rewound and paused a few times too, so I'm kind of confident um, on that too, which worries me that all three of us are confident on that, We're which be means nowhere near each all other, three of us are going to have different answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's worrisome. Um, I kind of don't like how Natalia just falls through anyway, like, because she's not a damsel in distress. I, she's not really a Bond equal in skill, and she's not a spy, but she's also not a damsel in distress, but it kind of just turns into that of, oh, she fell through and now she's in Oromov's car and she's captured. So, but whatever, nitpicking again. Um, love the tank scene. There's not too much more that can be said that hasn't already been said. It's just amazing. The Bond thing kicking in, all the different elements that are happening there. That You see the different locals and always good to have like local cops show up in the Bond films. I love that. Um, so tanks scene that's just an extended chase like it's amazing and it has to be up there for the hall of fame it's one of the most famous things about this movie and again they're just extending on new things like we had last time we had like the cello case and trucks and we've had rickshaws and each time they're just introducing a new kind of uh vehicle element and tank is just an amazing one um Sadly, it's not the last time we will see tanks in James Bond, but let's not talk about some of the other times. Um, And then the train scene, I really like. I don't like... I feel like Oromov's death is kind of anticlimactic, and maybe Mm -hmm, they didn't want to focus on him too much. They may have just wanted to say, well, Alex the baddie, but it's kind of like, hey, Alex the baddie, Oromov, dead. (laughs) Like, it's very quick, and it's like, oh... Did he actually die or is he going to do a Sean Bean and come back nine years later? <laughs> um, so so I, don't, I don't love that, but it's, again, a minor complaint, but they could have done that better. Um, and then the she, she means nothing to me thing, again, like, that's a good point. He's literally only just met her, um, so it's not really a lie, but um, it reminds me of one of my favourite scenes from Lost so that doesn't matter although we've talked enough about that with John Terry so um <laughs> all fantastic scenes yeah and i love the kind of claustrophobicness of the 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 train and Oromov getting shot and everything going on here it's just fantastic and i agree i love the tie thing too uh that you talked about ben. just uh quickly that's another Pierce Brosnan staple yeah. too though like we see it with the the boat later on and I mean, the only other time we've really seen that was with Daniel Craig in Skyfall. But that's something, again, I don't think people mention it enough. Pierce Brosnan kind of had that as a signature for himself. I think one thing that really stands out for me is Brosnan as well is, like, he's almost a bit cocky. Like, he's almost, he's got that swagger, sort of arrogant cockiness to his bond, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it works. And, you know... I think it's important. Yeah, and that's kind of that little bit. Like, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to adjust my tie, and I've just killed, you know. He's just um, kicking ass, taking numbers, and just doing the tie things, you know. It's just It just works so well. Um, just quickly, in the tank scene, I forgot to mention, there's one of the police cars that, if you pay close attention, gets crushed by the tank. There's clearly a dummy in it, and clearly it gets crushed. They cut away, then they cut back and show somebody falling out of it to show them that they're okay, because, mm-hmm. you know, Bond can't kill innocent police. Um, and I also, I do love the, the bit where it's sort of like the real rivalry and, you know, kind of, I think, showing that Trevelyan really isn't any better than Bond, but he's trying to be when he's like, um, you know, oh, tastes like strawberries. I wouldn't know. I haven't had her. And he's like, I have. And then, yeah. <laughs> and just they cut then to on the top licking her lips going, oh. 
<laughs> oh, and let's let's talk about on a top when they realize Bond's in the tank and she's like, he's about to ram the train. And if you watch her for the next like one to one and a half minutes, every time they cut to her, she's like, mm. oh, I'm gonna <laughs> die. This is amazing. <laughs> she's so sadistic. Oh, I love her. Uh, all right, so a lot of this can be all lumped together. Uh, we cut to the Caribbean. It's Natalia's dream to go to the Caribbean for some reason. Uh, <laughs> then we it's communist country. How many places that Russians can fly <laughs> in the Caribbean? We get. It's also called plot advancement. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Bond and Natalia. That'll be on t-shirts. <laughs> Bond and Natalia taking three days to bone each other. Meanwhile, they're about to destroy the world. Like they could get a bit quicker. Like they didn't need to have a romantic beach getaway one night. <laughs> anyway, um, we get a plane landing in front of them. What is it with you and moving vehicles? Um, Jack Wade, hello, he's back uh, to deliver the plane. For some reason, he needs to talk about never being to New Zealand. I'm guessing the only time that New Zealand ever gets referenced in the James Bond universe. Um, Jack Wade's obsession with trees. I love how he's just there and he's looking around and he's just like, Bunyan trees. Like, why is he just randomly <laughs> saying what the the fauna is going on there? The flora, sorry. Um, and then, yeah, off he pops. Beep, 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 beep. Don't push any buttons. Just going to go bumming around in it. Um, then, yeah, we get this lovely little scene of them on the beach. The boy band Bond is just expecting them to start playing some, like, Sam Smith going on in the background there. The sweeping hair in the wind with the white. Um, I like, it's a nice little exchange, though, between him and Natalia where it's, you know talking about, you know, getting revenge and it's like, what keeps me alive? No, it's what keeps you alone. And then they bone each other. Um, then they're flying. They're looking for this dish, of course. Uh, they're trying to find the second golden eye uh, that obviously apparently doesn't exist. But uh, they're shot down. They crash. They survive. Uh, Xenia arrives on a helicopter, um, wants to kill them. And it's just, I just love the fact that you've kind of got this whole plot line of Xenia. She's so pissed off, like, with Bond of how she's been treated. You know, this time, Mr. Bond, the pleasure will be mine. Like, it's just, oh, it's so good. And then, obviously, she ends up getting killed. Um, she always did love a good squeeze. Um, then they, uh, walk through the bush. We see the dish coming up through the water. Um, which somehow logistically is possible. I don't get that. Um, we also kind of get cut sequences to the dish with Trevelyan and Boris. I love one of my favourite lines of the movie is when uh, Trevelyan's like, prepare the dish now. No, I am not ready. <laughs> like, <laughs> Boris trying to stand up for himself. Um, and yeah, they get uh, spotted, captured into the uh, into the dish. Um, and then we get sort of Trevelyan going through his goodies. How is old Q? Um, I love that. He's obviously set the mines and got himself captured, really. Um, and then, yeah, Natalia's trying to hack and stop the GoldenEye. We've learnt that the target is London. Basically, Trevelyan is doing it to essentially rob a bank, as Bond points out. You're nothing but a bank robber. Um, and obviously he's doing it for Revenge Against London as well, of course. I'm covering a lot here. I know, there's... Lots here that you guys can pick out that I haven't covered because there's probably a lot. The pen, um, which obviously uh, Boris is clicking there. We get Natalia punching Boris, which is fantastic. Don't ever do that again! Um, wimpy, poor little Boris. Um, and then, yeah, eventually Bond and Natalia escape after Bond blows the shit out of some tanks, really screwing us up with our uh, kill count again. 
Um, and basically, uh, this all leads into the final fight, which I will probably leave separately. I've covered a lot. We've gone from planes blowing up, Caribbean, Jack Wade, Xenia dying, pens blowing up in the tanks, and everything else in between. Take your pick there, fellas. Yeah, um, the, the scene with Jack Wade, again, it's, it's another one of those fun scenes, especially because you don't really get that often. Sometimes we make fun of the fact that it's like, why are these agents there? They don't really have any authority, especially the DEA just storming into the Bahamas, as we mentioned in the last one. Uh, but I like that Jack Wade's like, you know, I, I am not here. You know, the CIA has no presence here. It, it's a little bit of a technicality that's kind of fun in the movie, but it actually does make sense. The, I want to talk really quickly about the whole what keeps me alive, keeps me alone scene. Uh, it's very interesting that I found we... The perception, again, is that Bond movies are just made for guys. But it's funny that I've probably met just as many women, if not, I'd say more women, who love James Bond movies than I've met guys who love James Bond movies. Can I meet the women too? This... <laughs> uh, go for it. <laughs> just come to Canada. Do uh, they have know... short hair, though? <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring my wigs. <laughs> no, but we have we have great wigs. But yeah, I, I have not met these women. I don't know of these women you speak of that love James Bond. <laughs> I, I honestly know tons. And the funny thing is, Die Hard, the same thing. Maybe it's just Canadian women love like these more macho action <laughs> so, movies. So the nicest country in the world are secretly sadistic and violent. Exactly. Well, you saw what happened to Admiral What's-His-Name when Xena squeezed him. <laughs> it's ice hockey. Yes. It's the ice hockey. Admiral, Blame yeah. the ice hockey. I told you. We all look like that 24-7, winter, summer, spring, fall. <laughs> but the the funny thing is, I find that most women I know love the whole it's what keeps me alive scene. And you know that's the case. They accomplished their goal. They found a way to reach an audience. Uh, not that the women need a scene like that in there, because I find most of them love just as much you know the Sean Connerys or the Roger Moores, more chauvinistic ones. But that what keeps me alive scene is so popular among women, and yet I don't know a single guy who likes that scene. Um, and I'm not going to judge it because you have to sometimes put things in there for every audience. You know, we talked about how the movies are important. You can't just do a straight Ian Fleming adaptation because you need to have a little bit of humor. You need to have a bit of this and that. That scene, it, like you said, the boy band scene, is kind of just emo James Bond. The criticism I'm going to have for that is not the scene itself because it's meant for a different audience. The criticism I'm going to have is how drastic it comes because we have the scene where it's really fun in the car and you literally are coming right off of Jack Wade saying, did you check her out? And Bond's like raising his eyebrow head to toe, you know, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's just moping on the sand. It just it doesn't fit the tone, especially since the next scene is, again, Bond like ready for action again. I just I, I, that's the one scene that I think you could have cut out from the movie entirely and the pace is a little bit better. Uh, once they get to the dish and everything, I mean, the dish out of water uh, <laughs> scene, which is, is again, is such a classic Bond moment that you you have this absurd base for it to take place in. Like, this is you only live twice all over again, and I love that. All the stuff with the villains, you can't say enough about them here. I mean, Sean Bean is Sean Bean, but you don't even need Sean Bean. I mean, Boris and Xenia, they own... Every second they're on screen here, Xenia's death is, again, if it wasn't for the fact that she had stronger scenes earlier in the movie, this is a Hall of Fame scene. Um, just absolutely insane. The only way a character like that can go out. Boris, with the, the whole fight with Natalia, as you mentioned earlier on, like one of the most hilarious lines 
just in the delivery up there where he's talking about she's only a second level programmer. She works on the guidance system. <laughs> like, he is so annoyingly obnoxious. I love it. Um, and the pen thing, like you said, I mean, a gadget coming back that you kind of forgot about because that was the other thing that we didn't really talk about that really worked in the QLab scene is that we have so many of these gadgets going on even in the background that you're not consciously thinking this will come back later in the movie and just that quirk that Boris has that quirk that he's clicking the pen over and over again. There's so many memorable things about him as a character and uh, so many memorable things about this, this entire movie. I mean, this, I was always a fan of this movie, but just talking about it makes me even more of a fan because you realize all the little details and how much they matter in this. It's just fantastic. Uh, I think, Colin, you pretty much covered a lot of this, but one thing I absolutely love is the Xenia fight to the death. Um, it's really one of the most coldest, well, not coldest kills, but one of the most graphic or, like, vicious deaths mm -hmm. of a character that getting pinned to a tree from a helicopter is just crazy. Um, and it's a great way for her to die. Um, and I love just the final battle, the hand-to-hand -hand combat kind of thing. And it's kind of the last hurrah before getting into the the main lair, I guess you could call it, which, again, very impressive, like a huge set which is just amazing. I love all the locations here in this final uh, third of the film. Um, and Boris versus Natalia is just great. I love her beating the shit out of him. <laughs> it's great. Um, and just, you, you know, something being set up with the beginning of it with just Bond snooping around, playing around. And I love that Alec, has the watch, he goes, oh, do I just click this then? Do I, like, we'll talk about the fight, but this film is essentially, and Man with the Golden Gun was a bit like this, but this is essentially Bond versus Bond, in a way, because he was trained with the same people, the MI6. He was a double O agent. Like, these are the best agents in Britain or the world. Um, so he's... Basically, Bond v. Bond, which was a little bit what Man with the Gun Gun was like, which just makes this film all the more better that it's not just Bond's friend, it's not Felix of the CIA turned DEA. It's it's James Bond, 00 agent, 006, Alec. Um, so I just think that's fantastic. And they're like trying to stay one step ahead of each other and then the pen stuff, you're just waiting for it because Boris clicks that pen seemingly a like hundred times and the payoff is there, which is great. I love all this climax scenes, just some really fun stuff. And again, Brosnan's facial expressions when he knows that pen, what is going on there, it's just, um, yeah, it's it's so good. I also, there's a bit there when he's putting the mines up on the tanks and there's like that one sort of shot and he kind of just flinches his head like he doesn't give a shit, like he just nearly got shot, but he's just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I love that. Nearly got shot. Who gives a fuck? Um, and yeah, just the whole plot line, just sort of, yeah, the, the fact that we've got Bond battling another agent, like this is something that's taken 17 films to get to, but um, something that I'm sure that if they hadn't done at that point, they would have done eventually. You know, it's, it's a good sort of trope to have in these type of films. Anyway, we get to basically the final sequence. Um, I do love Trevelyan with that guard. Um, if he moves, kill him, <laughs> like to Boris. Like, okay, so if he needs to go to the toilet or something, he's just going to get shot. Um, so then we get uh, Bond running up the 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 dish, uh, going to try and stop uh, the, um, the 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 cable thing, the 
cradle. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, obviously, because uh, Boris is trying to um, stop Natalia's code because she's uh, basically made the satellite come in for re-entry. He's still trying to make it destroy London. Then we get this massive battle at the top of the dish, uh, travelling, going up on his little pulley thing, shooting at each other, and we get it in this little shed. Now, I was very intrigued to read that Martin Campbell took inspiration for this fight from uh, the Red Grant Bond fight in From Russia with Love. Now, I'd like to maybe hear both your thoughts on whether you think it holds a candle to that or not, because um, probably doesn't, but I just it's interesting to hear that he took inspiration for that. Sean Bean and Brosnan did all their stunts in this. There was one sequence that uh, Brosnan had injured his hand when the ladder kind of came down, so that was the only time that they used a stunt double from that point on. But uh, this fight sort of it leads down uh, onto the ladder that I talk about, dangling over the edge. It's very tense. Um, and meantime, Bond has obviously shoved a stick thing into the the lever thingy of the cradle that stops it and leads it to also blowing up eventually. Um, we get this little fight sequence, Trevelyan saying he was always better, and then eventually it leads to him falling over. Bond grabbing him, holding on to him. Oh, no, he's going to die. For England, James? No, for me. Sort of cold asshole Bond kill which, you know, we talked a lot about that a little, you know, uh, Spy Love Me and In For Your Eyes Only with Prick Bond, you know, real evil kill. This is one of them, you know. He didn't have to drop him, but he did. Um, obviously, Trevelyan technically survives, um, but we'll get to that. Uh, meanwhile, their helicopter gunship, which Trevelyan's called for, Natalie is hijacked. She's become a terrorist. Not really. Uh, and then Bond jumps onto it, gets taken into the field where just the CIA happened to be there. I love that scene where they all come up with the, the bushes and they're getting taken back to be uh, interrogated at Guantanamo Bay. Hmm, wonder what happens there in a few years' time. Uh, and also in the meantime, uh, the fact that Bond has shoved a stick in this little travelator thing allows the entire dish to blow up, coming down, crushing poor Trevelyan, and then, of course, we get Boris, who survives the initial explosion, jumps up. Yes, I am invincible. And then we get liquid nitrogen killing him, which is just a fantastic scene. And roll credits. Um, <laughs> that is that is Goldeneye, um, sort of. Uh, we still obviously got to hear uh, the experience of love, but maybe we'll cover that separately. I don't know. But, um, yeah, a fantastic closing sequence. The fight is great. Hand-to-hand combat. It's always good. Something we love. Trevelyan vs. Bond. It's fantastic. And then, yeah, I love the fact that he doesn't die, but then he dies. I don't know. There's just something about that that works. Um, and then, yeah, the the whole little chemistry between Natalia and Bond at the end as well, uh, when she's like, no, no plane, no plane. Like, that's great. It's fantastic. Uh, I think I'll talk first, going backwards here, about the deaths, uh, just because you just brought it up. I don't want to forget the... I think what really works about Alex's death is the same thing that works about Boris's death. And that's that the deaths are memorable. It isn't just you let go of him and you see him fall. It's its own individual scene that makes him memorable. And that's something, again, from like classic Bond movies that, that there was something that made the villain deaths memorable. You know, obviously, Dr. No with the, the claws and falling into the, the, the boiling pool. Um, we have uh, the Blofeld uh, <laughs> um, Diamonds Are Forever where he's just dangling in the, the batho sub and everything. And it's not just a fight because if you ended this as just a fight and then he drops them, then, okay, well, you're remembering it's just the end of the movie. But Boris's scene is right up there with, like, Odd Job. is one of the most memorable henchman deaths as well. Like, 
Oddjob gets electrocuted, Boris gets frozen to death with I'm Invincible. Uh, definitely, they're stepping up to make things memorable here. And you mentioned the fight, the same thing there. I don't really see this as looking as much like the Red Grant fight. But I think in a way that's because they took it as inspiration and they did something different. This is another one of those things that really stays with the Pierce Brosnan's. You know, we talked in the preview episode about what things were very pivotal to the Brosnan era that didn't really stick around after that. And these extended villain fights, I think, is one of those things. Uh, because even in the Daniel Craig films, if you have a fight with a villain, it's usually a shorter one. It's a lot more like the Sean Connery's where it lasts for maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds. These Pierce Brosnan ones go on for like four or five minutes and they're battling across the entire enemy base. I'm not really sure if there were any other action movies in the 90s that did that first. But again, this is something if, if it, they did do it first with the big villain fights, then this is something that kind of became a staple of the entire 90s action genre. Uh, and I think the comparison to the Red Grand fight is the fact that it is gritty and there's a lot of parts where it's dark and you can't even really see what's going Because I was watching it thinking, I wonder if these guys are doing the stunts. And there were several shots where it was so dark, I assume maybe it was stuntmen. Clearly, the idea was having dark to create the mood too. And just the fact that this fight goes everywhere is fantastic. And you have two guys that are agents and you have these two actors who are very physical and can handle this. Um, it was it was the right thing to do again to make Bond a little bit different. And this isn't License to Kill where it was just a standard movie at the time. They were kind of upping the ante on every level. Uh, and I, I do like the final scene with Natalia. It is a little bit too similar to the whole Goldfinger ending. Just the difference of, you know, the guys popping up out of the grass, which I, every time I watch this, it bothers me. I'm wondering, why were they just lying there? Like, I, we understand they were not supposed to interfere in the conflict, but then why do they have the guns? Why do they have the camouflage? And how long were they going to lie there? And what were they essentially waiting for? Like, were these guys whispering to each other? It's like, these two people are about to have sex in front of us. Are we supposed to let them know we're here yet? Like, how long were they going to stay there? It's just weird. A little bit creepy. But, uh, yeah, it's a fun final scene. And, you know, just a last note. You you mentioned, uh, I think it was Noah, you mentioned that Pierce was like the Irish-sounding Bond. Uh, I never really noticed that until his very last line, which I can't remember what the last line is here, but his very last line as he carries her away sounds so Irish. It, it almost sounds like yeah, it's out of a completely different character. But uh, yeah, I finally get what you're talking about hearing that line now. Yeah, the ending, I, I love Boris's. I think we've all talked about that. And I love that he's got his own catchphrase, kind of that's his villain quirk in a way, is his... Uh, I'm invincible catchphrase. Um, I just love the setting for the Alec versus Bond. Just you definitely get a sense of vertigo there with the massive. It's just ginormous. It's amazing. Um, I don't know if I see the Red Grant thing other than it's a fist fight, really. Um, in a, Fast in a way. Too. Yeah, in a way, it is also kind of in enclosed space, even though they're in that big wide open thing. So I can see some similarities. Um, it's just such a brilliant moment. His death, though, for England, no, for me, is just fantastic because that was the recurring motif throughout the entire film. Uh, nitpicking again, it does look a bit dodgy when Alec falls. Come on, that that doesn't hold up very well. Um considering the rest of this entire sequence of this 
climax and then that fall doesn't look too good. Um, but I absolutely love this final battle. It's not the best like hand-to-hand thing we've seen in Bond, but just the stakes of it, of who the characters are and how the scene ends with Bond and Alec is just fantastic. And don't even get me started on that stupid song at the end. <laughs> oh. I just I found it fascinating actually that it was it was written off a cue that was initially written for Leon or the professional Luke Besson's film, which is Natalie Portman's first ever movie, which was released a year before. So I find I, I'm not gonna defend that song. I, I, I don't even really like that song. This is me, so um that's how lazy Eric Serra is as a composer. <laughs> is that he's they're like, you can write a bomb theme, and he's like, all right, I'll just reuse this one that I wrote last year for a completely different genre. You know, when Ben doesn't like the song, it's going to be a pretty damn bad song. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned about the Irish connection. I mean, obviously Brosnan is Irish, but um, sort of you know, because Ireland, of course, is not part of the United Kingdom. So uh, besides uh, Lazenby, he's one of only two Bonds to not be from the United Kingdom. So. There you go, if you didn't already work well, that enough. part of Ireland is. Well, the northern part is, but the actual part that Pierce is from is its own country. So know your geography, Noah Groves. Come on. Um, so there we go. I said part of it is. There we go. Did you agree with me. Goldeneye. Uh, it's done. Um, wow, we've covered a lot. Um, our last episode was our longest ever. Let's try and not make this our longest because we can wrap these last bits up, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, quite quickly, let's get into, first of all, this little bit involving... Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. bang. There we go. Um, now, one little quick thing that I'm going to put out there. A correction. Noah Groves is about to get a little bit erect right now. Uh, Living Daylights, uh, we had a debate about the number of martinis. Colin and I both said there was two. Noah debated there was three, but he could not come out what it was. He's come out and he's worked it out that there was an extra one at the end, I believe, Noah, was where you found it. I didn't find it. It was... One of our listeners. Oh, right. Okay. I thought it was you. All right. Well, I'm giving you credit. Stuff you. Thank you, listener, uh, who sent it in on the James Bond forum. So I still said there were three. So we have gone. I'm still. We have gone and corrected. It's a par- oh, well, let's just let's mention the one because I meant to go back and look at the clip because the the scene is apparently the last seconds of the film. So I don't know if it's clear enough that it is a martini because I haven't looked at it myself. Well, I got three and he also got three. Well, the moment they're talking about is that last line where where Kara comes back to her dressing room and Bond is there and he says, you didn't think I'd miss this. Let's not debate this. (laughs) And he apparently has a martini in his hand. If there's an olive in the glass, and it's in a martini glass, then we'll count it. But I, I haven't looked the at it myself, but we'll, we'll give the benefit of the doubt to one of our we're going, many listeners. Well, the fact that we've got a listener, we're going to give the benefit of the doubt. So, like, somebody could, like, send us a message going, there were 717 kills in Doctor No, we'd believe them. So, uh, just... Let's also yeah, say that listener say did, did tell us to change our Hall of Fame, as I asked them to do. So, are we going to follow this listener on everything? No. Um, no. So, we're up to 12 martinis coming into this, so that we've added that extra one, similar to what we did with the snake earlier on. Anyway, all right. Right, let's go through the easy ones because I think we can cover this one for our Bonds, James Bonds, the one. Yeah. Yes. Alrighty. For our martinis, the one. Noah. Yes, one. Uh, for our uh, kinky moments involving Alan, um, two. Oh, Alan. <laughs> yeah. Two. Yes. All right. Here we go. 
because Xenia never happened. No, exactly. It's kind of interesting. Well, yeah. All right. Here we go. I'll go first. Fifth. Okay, before we start oh. here. Um, <laughs> just, oh, can, can, come no, on. No, no. I was halfway through Listen, listen. <laughs> I'm just going to say right off the bat, I counted people that we saw Bond kill because I think the opening scene is going to be the question about anything that happened off camera. Um, so are we going, like, do you have well, a count? Let's yeah. just on, get on our camera? numbers well, out of well, the way. Hang on, I'll say. we may all have the same one. Yeah, if, you, okay. if you're referring to the facility itself blowing up, I didn't count that. I only counted people Good. I saw him kill. The only one I feel that I'm probably a bit iffy on is the final bit with the pen blowing up. I think the other two I'm a bit more confident on. I got 59. 59? Yes. Yeah. No. I got 22. Oh, Jesus. I got 31. <laughs> well, here's the thing with the... Okay, what did you get, Noah? 31. So okay. I think we can rule out 50. Well, hang <laughs> on. I can defend here's 59. The thing with the pen, though. But I can no. We're not counting the octopusy shed. No, man. I will defend fifty nine because I I will tell you why. Sorry, Colin. No, hold on, hold uh, on. Before let's talk about the pen. You see a lot of people, you know, being stirred up by that, but you don't see anybody dying. In fact, I think yeah, you only you see one or two people on fire, and they're kind of rolling around. You're laughing at that. You're not watching it. You're just laughing at the fact I that know. they're burning. <laughs> I am watching. I can, Slow motion. Just no. Well, I will say you do see them. I counted here twenty one in the pen explosion because, and I've slow moed this to make sure of it. When you see the initial pen go off, you see people falling and flailing. Then there's a bunch of people on the lower floor who, at the moment, have survived. Then there's a second explosion which you see cover them, and then the ones that are running out. There's another. There's a third bit which you then see them also falling down and like ah. And I freeze frame, free, froze frame it and slow mode it, and I counted twenty one of those people in that area who, at one point or another, were falling down on fire or were about to get crushed. Right, but if you don't see them stop moving, there's no way to determine if it's a death. But that's the same with somebody who gets shot. We see someone go, ah, and fall back, but we don't actually see the initial part of them on the ground dead. Well, because you're, the thing is, is you're arguing an explosion in which, by your own admission, they're flailing around still quite a bit, so they're very much alive. But they're, so. they're, they're in the process of dying, the same as when a soldier's getting shot. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> when Boris is the only one left there, we don't see bodies lying around. And I think that's what sells it, is that Boris is clearly the only one left there. Everybody else has kind of fled. There is also... Uh, or maybe died somewhere else. There is also, there's no body. I don't fighting. think it's 50 But there's also but bits... we've got to figure out But there's out also way. bits where you this do see bodies on the ground. Anyway, all right. Can I just go... I'll just go back to the, the opening bit. I got... Um, I counted nine crushed by the barrels. I got seven initially with... Were they deaths? <laughs> I think they they're getting deaf. crushed by those things. Also, He's going to kill you. <laughs> Hold on. No, for the, for the sake of time, deaf. I'm going to cut in here. You count about the same amount of people before those barrels fell that are there just holding their guns on bond, right? I, about the same amount of people follow Oromob out of the no, building. No, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> see them. So, them no, I'm not I don't know where these extra guys are going. I'm not, count, I'm not <laughs> counting them before. I free, Again, I'm freeze-framing it when they're actually on the ground underneath the barrels crushed and there are right. still other then, people uh, who are not crushed. Who why are, get back why just as many soldiers following Oromob out of the building <laughs> seconds later? There, if you watch the scene, if you freeze-frame it when they're actually no. crushed, there are still as many people standing up around them at the same time. No. I don't think so. Anyway, well, I've got nine barrels, seven... one way to solve this. Yeah, there's only one way to solve this. Our numbers are so drastically different. 
can we assume by a majority that Ben is so far well, No, hang yeah. on. Just let me. I feel it's I'm allowed to actually go through my numbers there are here. 57 bong. Just hang on a minute. Let me at least go through what I've got here before you can right, shut me down. Speed it up. Triple my number. Nine crashed by the barrels, and we've got seven getting shot by no, the machine right. gun as he's coming out of the the building. Then he kills the guy, the bike guard. I've written bike guard, then the pilot. So there's those two. Then we obviously don't get any deaths until the archives, which if I can get to my notes here quickly. So he initially shoots two at the top of the stairs and he's got four at the door, one through the glass, three more on the stairs, two guards at the bottom of the stairs and he's got one more guard in the gap. So that is what this six... This is what is a... Handy feature to, to understand. <laughs> 7, 10, 13. Then he... This is 13 in that section. I had 12 in the... Uh, I had 12 there, too. No, well, all right. 12, one off. Not too bad. Then none in the tank chase. Then... Yeah, we're down to 56. Then he kills Oromov. <laughs> and then he yes. kills the pilot in the helicopter. He kills Xenia. Then there's two that he initially kills in the dish. Then I've got 21 in the pen explosion. Then I've got he kills Trevally and then he kills Boris. Okay, well, I, I'll just say I I somehow missed Oromov and Xenia, so I would have had, oh, that put me at 23. But basically all of your extra kills, we can tell, are coming from things where people probably didn't die. Um, so I think these are more, have a more deaths than the, the bloody sequence in Octopussy that we didn't count, and I still debate they were deaths. What what All happens right, if let's... you take off the barrels and take off most of the If you pens, take off the barrels then that's what number do if you, you take, take off the barrels that's fifty one and if you take off the what did I say, twenty one. So I've got thirty if you take off those ones. Oh, and I've got thirty one. So... I say we go with thirty one. Okay. Well Woo! given the fact that we're going long, I will concede and put thirty one. <laughs> All right. And we're going to say right now, nobody reference us at any point in the future in any studies <laughs> on Bond kills. All, right, so that's, All I know is they know didn't die in those battles. Did we get a, is, that a, is that officially a record on. then for most in a movie? 31? Yes. Well, oh. Let's call it a record. And I did actually read because I don't want to do the research. Well, I did read a stat on this that this is the Bond film with the most kills. So that brings him up to 208 kills. So somewhere in there he's killed his 200th kill. Well done. Um, so then that makes us for, uh, sex, uh, 45, martinis, 13. That of course is including the addition for living daylights and 19 bonds, James bonds. All right. Moving in just really quickly before we go, it can be known that Pierce Brosnan killed more people in the 30 seconds. He's escaping from the archives than Timothy Dalton killed in two films. (laughs) Easy. The numbers are at least equal there. Definitely. Did we count the cars that he crushed in the t- <laughs> That's a separate That's count. That's not. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm using that as a joke to move on. To this person. <laughs> Box office. And Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. But don't read his stuff. Yes, that stupid idiot, um, Mr. Travers. Um, this is where he's yeah. a he's a dickhead because he puts freaking Goldeneye at nineteenth. Nineteenth. Oh, what a um, just ahead of World Is Not Enough and just below Diamonds Are Forever. Oh my God, Noah, stop giving him money. 
Um, now, box office is interesting because this is actually the first time that I'm looking at this and we've got a new film added. It's in yellow, which means it's currently at the movies. Um, so uh, before you adjust it for inflation, 106429941 The very first Bond movie to make $100 million was the most successful James Bond film until the next one. But uh, it broke Moonraker's record. If you adjust it for inflation... Two hundred and three million five hundred twenty-eight makes it twelfth, just below World is Not Enough and just ahead of Quantum of Solace. And I should have said seventh uh, before adjusting it. And funnily enough, at the time of recording this, it's just above Spectre, so <laughs> we'll fall down a spot, no doubt, in the coming days. Um, right, considering we're what like a week and a half into Spectre. Oh well, this, this is uh, only domestic, worldwide release. North America domestic. Yeah, so yeah it's only well, like three days. No, we're opening weekend. Three or four days. Yeah, opening weekend basically. Um, okay, uh, moving along swimmingly into <laughs> it's the hole, the hole with the classic scene. Oh no, you sound so good when you sing that Hall of Fame. You have been practicing. <laughs> Anyway. Gets better with every episode, doesn't it? I just put it into context. It's 2.39am when we're recording this. Noah's half asleep. I've got to get up in five hours for work. So, um, okay. Uh, easily, I'll just put it out there for two of them. The bungee jump at the beginning and the tank chase sequence. Are we both... Are we all locked in on those? Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, this is where the third one comes into play. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I up, don't want Xenia in there that Colin said. How can we not include Xenia on a top? Especially her versus Bond. But if anything, I would have her final battle over what you said before. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I think... I'm in a lot of words, Noah. You sound so worried. Oh, no. <laughs> Basically, or, you have Bond I think her wrapped in the towels the killing each other while it. trying to seduce each other. All right, let's just... Okay, I think... Let's each give a couple that we the think... Alec Reveal. Yeah, Alec Reveal, okay. Q scene, right, Zinya. The M scene, the M. Q scene, and the Alec Reveal. Yeah, I'm in greens with all of them. <laughs> just what the hell do we choose? I'm, I'm, I'm behind on Alec and Q. I would even put the train scene up there, too. Don't you like the M Um... Oh, the... You know what? I don't think we could get away with not doing the M scene, to be honest. Oh, M over the... Hey, we're putting our personal preference out of here. That is such an important scene. Oh, I would happy with it. I'm, I'm happy with it, but I just don't know if because oh, the Alex scene and oh, because it's a woman is him. <laughs> <laughs> if you put a wig on her, then it's a guaranteed <laughs> top. She had short hair and she was a woman. Oh, <laughs> uh, look, we'll go with it. So I'm just going to put the M, the new. I think we would M We would be torn to pieces without including that scene. But the fact that we've had more than any other film says something about that. Yeah, God, we we could make a top ten probably of this one, and considering some we've struggled to get three. So, all right, um, let's let's move on right now into. Rankings, baby. Baby, I am so intrigued for this one, and I'm not going to go first. <laughs> Colin, you can. Oh, this is so hard for me. I'm still debating between two spots, but I'm pretty sure I know which one I should do. Uh, it, it's again the only way I could say it is it, it changes a lot. You can't just rewatch the movie, but rewatching them with a little bit of time in between, like let's say a week in between films, and 
going as far as to pick apart everything in it can change your perspective a little bit. Um, because this is, I'm, I'm pretty much debating around my top five spots here. And I don't think I would have ranked Goldeneye ahead of one of these for sure. But, you know, despite a couple of things that we were a little bit critical on this movie, and I think that there, there are elements like it's really between this and Thunderball for me for my fifth spot. And I love Thunderball so much. And I'm really thinking that this is going to be one of those things like when I put Moonraker above the man with the golden gun where I regret it. But I think uh, as much as I love Thunderball, the fact that there are so many things in this that we just agree stand out as like iconic scenes and uh, the music aside, uh, I don't think that there's anything in Thunderball that necessarily can touch how good the characters are in this. Maybe Fiona Volpe. So I think I'll put Goldeneye just ahead of Thunderball in my number number five spot. So behind Honor Majesty's Secret Service, From Russia with Love, Spy Who Loved Me, and Goldfinger. So you've got the gold double, Goldfinger, Goldeneye. Yep. And Man with a Golden Gun should have been in the next spot, <laughs> but I have regrets. <laughs> I have regrets about Moonraker and Man with a Golden <laughs> Gun too, Colin. So we've got that in common. Yeah, you're learning. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... This, I'm debating also between two spots. Um, I feel like, just to summarise briefly, because we've talked about it a lot, what we liked and whatever, the few things I dislike about this film, and we just said we could have a top 10 Hall of Fame. And I feel like despite this being, what, 2.43am in the morning and what a three-hour and three-and-a-half-hour episode, I almost feel like we rushed Mm-hmm. through this film so i feel like this is something that we definitely should and probably will revisit in the future out of all the bond films that we could dive into this a whole lot more because it feels like we just rushed through everything here um th- this film has so much depth and so much life into it and it's the characters i keep bringing i'm a big fan of strong characters in pretty much everything i watch and this delivers in some of the strongest characters in Bond history. Um, the action is some of the best action movies of all time. Brosnan's probably better next film, I'd argue, but he's really good here. Uh, Q scene's great. M is great. Just so, There's a few things I dislike about this film, even though I kept nitpicking. Um, and I just our conversation has probably upped it for me one spot, which is going to make probably both of you are a lot happier than where it was probably going to finish. And I hope I don't regret this. Although the thought of regretting this probably makes everyone here laugh. Um, So it actually has changed over the course of three hours up one spot. I'm going to put Goldeneye in number two. So just below the spy love me and just above diamonds are forever. Um, I was going to put it below Diamonds Are Forever, but I just think this film is amazing. It's just pure James Bond, so it's my second favourite James Bond film thus far. I'm glad you... I hope I don't regret that. I'm glad you pointed out that you felt like I rushed it. you rushed it. We we rushed it because mm-hmm. I think we did. <laughs> like, this is this is hilarious. Like, um, you know, coming into this, you know, before we get into to post-production, it's it's going to be up there on very level footing to be our longest ever episode alongside License to Kill. And we said we're only going to do three hours. We're at the three and a half hours after, what, Living Like Die was two hours 20. So, yeah, uh, this film, look, just, 
I'm with Noah. It's kind of even talking about it just whets your appetite even more for it. I just appreciate this film on every single rewatch. The film I've seen the most uh, out of all the Bonds. Uh, Brosnan, look, I, I think kind of from what I feel from both of you, you don't think he's quite there. I... This is I'm tossing and turning with a coin right now that this is his best performance alongside another movie. I just think this is so good in this film. And I think all of his films, all four of his films, he's very strong in all of them. I, I really find it hard to rank them based on his performances because I think there's arguments for each of his films that he's really good in it. And just the characters, like you've got you know, a top five, top ten villain. You've got a top five, top two henchman. Um, even, the, you know, the Bond girl, top ten Bond girl, and not just based on the E-Harmony ranking. Um, you know, sidekicks in this movie. Um, you've got, you know, M, which I might argue is the best M, Money Penny, just behind Lois. Like, locations, the music even, I'm a fan, the song, there's a Ferrari in it. Like... I am probably the one in this film, this episode, that found the least to nitpick about it. And, look, I I am dragging this out. We've gone three and a half hours. There was no debate at all coming into this, and no debate even more after three hours. Ladies and gentlemen, at the top of the charts, I am putting Goldeneye number one. There we go. No. <laughs> <laughs> listen to these. Ben's build-up. No doubt, everybody. This is the moment you've been waiting for. Number one, Dead Silence. There you go. <laughs> it's just we've all got different um, top ones now. We do. Although I can't even remember what yours That's is called. Uh, what is yours called? Mine's oh, yeah. Um, mm. I had a feeling that this would top you, Ben. Well, look, I'm just so going to say this go. out there. I came into this count 100% on my number one. And at the end of this episode, I'm telling you now, that could change. So, um, yeah, I will... Wait, this is more your overall number one? Well, it, 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 this, it's between this and one more film, which is coming in a few episodes, wow. and it's not the one you're thinking. So, um, I'm just putting that out there right now, that this could be a final lock. We'll see. Um, but that's Goldeneye. So, that leads us now into Thoughts of Tomorrow Never Dies... The next Pierce Brosnan, 1997, um, competing against, at the time, what would become the biggest ever movie in the history of movies. Um, that's maybe a talking point we'll have. Uh, yeah, look, nothing to complain about from this side. I love Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, again, this is sort of the Brosnan film that I forgot existed for a while because um, I watched Goldeneye so many times and then I saw World Is Not Enough at the cinema that I, I never actually saw Tomorrow Never Dies till after The World Is Not Enough. Um, and I enjoy it. I, I actually like the villain. I think he gets a he gets a bit of um, shit out there, Mister Carver. But um, I I'm a fan of his. I think he has his merits. Um, the Bond girls in this film, obviously, when it comes to the other woman, um, Michelle Yeoh, like she she's often regarded as one of the best and one of the you know best equal girls in the history of of Bond. We'll talk about that. We've joked so much about Paris Carver, but look, I feel like one of us who defends the other Carver, I'll defend Paris Carver because I I like her two seconds in the film. I like Terry Hatcher, so I, I like it. And locations, it's got one of the coldest Bond kills in the history of Bond. Brosnan, I think you mentioned, no, it's, again, strong. I, I probably wouldn't say it's his best. I'd, I'd probably say that Tomorrow Never Dies is probably his weakest performance in a Bond film, but that's still not to say it's a shit performance. It's still brilliant. And 
I will say, which everybody laughs at me when I say this, it's got my favourite title track in all of the James Bond films. I just something about the title for Tomorrow Never Dies that I love. I'm looking forward to talking about it um, because it's a great film. So, yes, Tomorrow Never Dies. The only thing that uh, comes close to making me laugh as hard as people burning is when Ben talks about his music choices. So I'll just put that out there. <laughs> That's a burn in itself. <laughs> No, I've, I've said this several times on other episodes, but even though I saw GoldenEye first, and I think I probably saw bits and pieces of License to Kill and Live and Let Die when they were on TV, it, it, I loved GoldenEye, but I didn't become a James Bond fan off of it because I wasn't as aware of everything out there. And Tomorrow Never Dies, when I did see it, um, that's what made me a Bond fanatic. And it wasn't because Tomorrow Never Dies was the greatest movie. It had a lot to do, and again, I have mentioned this before, that after watching Tomorrow Never Dies, I just happened to come home from the theater and they had a Bond marathon on and I was in the mood because of Tomorrow Never Dies. But I will say I was in the mood to watch more Bond because all of those cliches and everything and all of those uh, staples of the James Bond franchise, they make a point to include more in Tomorrow Never Dies than they did in GoldenEye. GoldenEye is definitely a better film, but Tomorrow Never Dies, it has the great Bond score. We don't have this tin can in a cave sound, elastic band drama music that Eric Serra had. We have a proper Bond composer coming in. Uh, we have a very over-the-top villain. We have some of the worst, but some of the best worst bad uh, one-liners you're going to have in the James Bond movies, especially one that uh, I've always quoted as being like the worst one-liner you've ever heard, but so perfect for James Bond. And, yeah, I think the Bond girls are great. Well, one of them. Um, <laughs> one of them is great. Um, and the movie played on the times really well. And I, I think it's one of those movies that was kind of forgotten because it didn't necessarily hold up to GoldenEye. But I'm sort of seeing people's opinions coming around on a little bit. And I see my come around, even though this was the one that really got me into Bond and made me a fanatic. Uh, I never really regarded it as being the greatest movie, but in years since, there's a lot of things like, you know, Elliot Carver that I've come to appreciate more where I used to find him to be kind of a lame villain. So um, I'm going to be really interested to see what happens this time, just being able to analyze everything. Yeah, I don't really have any history with Tomorrow Never Dies other than just being another Bond film. Um, and that's what it is. It's just another Bond film. Um GoldenEye kind of was that crossover of we had to move him away from a Cold War situation and they did that by focusing on the Cold War and then putting that to rest and kind of introducing this new era of Bond. So now when we get to this one, it's just a stock standard adventure of the 90s that kind of unique but also kind of very similar to films we've seen from the past. Uh, I enjoy it. Like, there's not too much more to say than that. I think it's maybe slightly underrated. Some people say it's the worst Bond film ever made. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. Um, it's got some great action. It's got some good Bond girls, or at least one, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I defend the villain in some ways, the henchman. Yeah. It's got just some great moments. We're not going to have a top 10 Hall of Fame, but it's got some really fun moments. There's some ones that definitely will make the Hall of Fame. And it's just a stock standard Bond adventure, fun action film. So I'm going to have a lot of good stuff to say about it, but I'm sure I'll also have some negative things to say about it. But it is a good follow-up if 
uh, a poor sequel to Goldeneye, but still in the history of Bond, I enjoy Tomorrow Never Dies quite a bit. What I'm just excited for is the fact that this time in two episodes, uh, we're going to be talking about Die Another Day at this point. So, um, yeah. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just hit me there. We're that close. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Goldeneye, uh, wow, we're breaking lots of ground and records here. Um, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, also, make sure you like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. And, yeah, discuss things with us in the forums and change our counts because apparently we cave into uh, peer pressure about you telling us what is actually in the movie as opposed to what we think is in the movie. Uh, but, yes, my name uh, is Ben for England, James and listeners, and um, I'll see you in a wig. <laughs> and I'm Colin, and to put a spin on the great words of Judy Dench, unlike the American media, we prefer not to get our rankings from Peter Chavers. <laughs> Uh, and I'm Noah, and make sure to stand by your man and strangle the cat. And thank you for Alan coming. Name's Bond. James Bond. Charming, sophisticated secret agent. <laughs> I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. Xenia Sergeyevna Onatop. Onatop? I trust you'll stay. On the top of things. Three times to go. No, no, no. No more foreplay. Don't ever do that again. Why can't you just be a good boy and die? Don't say it. The writing's on the wall. Strangling the cat. Strangling a cat. You're late, 007. Have to stop in the bathroom. Jack Wade, CIA. James Bond. Stiff ass bread. Do you have a license to kill? Not to break the traffic laws. What's the matter, James? No glib remark? No pithy comeback? the trouble with the world today. No one takes the time to do a really sinister interrogation anymore. Boris! Boris! Back! God! I am invincible! If I want sarcasm, Mr. Tanner, I'll talk to my children. Thank you very much. I like a woman who enjoys pulling rank. Who's that? Talia Simonov. You check her out. Head to toe. Lovely girl. Tastes like pink strawberries. I wouldn't know. I would. Mm. She's a moron, a second level programmer. She works on the guidance system. I've had a lovely evening. You? Once again, the pleasure was all yours. You'll understand if I don't call. I won't lose sleep over it. Don't touch that! It's my lunch. 
for England, James? No. Coffee?